The following is brought to you by the Leave It in the Ring Podcast Network. All boxing, no filter. Greetings and welcome to the Boxing Esquire Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Boxing Esquire Podcast presented by The Ring and RingTV.com and distributed by the Leave It in the Ring Network. My guest on this episode is one of the top promoters in the business, Mr. Tom Loeffler of Triple G Promotions and 360 Promotions. We had the chance to discuss the recent middleweight title fight, the big drama show at Madison Square Garden between Triple G and Sergei Derevyanchenko, and where Triple G is in the current middleweight landscape. Also discussed his promotional venture, 360 Promotions, and their upcoming show in Hollywood featuring Sergei Bolachuk. Got into Tom's background as a sports memorabilia business with his partner Harlan Werner and all the luminaries they represented, including Ali, Sandy Koufax, Joe Namath, Ronald Reagan, Mikhail Gorbachev, crazy stories. Uh, talked about his time in the 90s and early 2000s as a boxing manager representing Kevin Kelly, Obakar, Shane Mosley. Discussed his transition into the promotional business with K2 and the Klitschko brothers. And lastly, we talked about female boxing and the possible comeback of Vladimir Klitschko. So great conversation. Uh, really hope you enjoy. It's my pleasure to have as my guest on this episode, one of my favorite folks in the business and one of the top promoters in the game, uh, Mr. Tom Loeffler of Triple G and 360 Promotions. Uh, welcome to the Boxing Esquire podcast, Tom. Hi, Kurt. Uh, always good to talk to you, and it's uh, great to be on the podcast. Awesome, awesome, awesome. So uh, it was good we, uh, we finally had a chance to, uh, chance to catch up. Uh, you were in New York last weekend to put on the uh, – the big drama show at Madison Square Garden with uh, Gennady Golovkin uh, defending his title against a very tough uh, top contender, uh, Sergei Derevyanchenko, what turned out to be one of the fights of the year for uh, 2019. So let's uh, let's not bury the lead. Let's talk about that first. So just first of all, uh, an update on Gennady. How's he doing? I mean, I know he was in the hospital uh, after the fight. Well, it really took him uh, to the hospital for a precautionary measure, you know, going uh, 12 rounds like that. Um, they they just wanted to, uh, with the things that have happened in New York, they wanted to, to uh, uh, check him out uh, uh, precautionarily. Uh, they did a, a MRI uh, on him, and, uh, you know, everything was fine. It was really more Devonchenko who had the, uh, you know, that severe cut over his eye and the swelling on both eyes and clearly took you know, much more uh, punishment or harder uh, shots. So they they, uh, they transported him, and, and not a precautionary measures. They also uh, transported uh, Triple G. Yeah, absolutely. That was like a really grueling uh, competitive fight. Um, you know, plenty of folks, you know, thought it was close, could have went either way. I mean, how did you see it from ringside? I saw it like uh, two of the judges. I had it 7-5, a Triple G plus a knockdown. So I, I didn't think there was really a lot of controversy. I know... Uh, you know, Lou and and uh, Keith Connolly, they were trying to, you know, stir up the the controversy and saying that Devrinchenko, uh landed more power shots, but they forgot to mention that uh, Triple G landed more punches overall uh, in the fight. And uh, Triple G's jab, you know, as you saw their effect of it, uh, Triple G's jab is just as hard as uh, most uh, guys' power punches. So. Um, you know, he, I think he controlled the fight uh, a lot with the jab. Uh, there's no question it was a tremendous fight, an all-action fight, uh, fought at a very high level, uh, very high ring IQ, as Triple G likes to say, and uh, 
you know, 12 rounds providing uh, some great entertainment for the fans. But I, I didn't think the uh, the decision was controversial at all, especially with the knockdown, uh, especially with the, um, the, the big gash that uh, Triple G opened up with a punch. You know, there was some uh, debate... Uh, whether it was a headbutt or a punch, but it clearly showed from the replays it was from a left hook, uh, a clean left hook that landed right on the eye that uh, opened up that uh, that cut. And then, you know, Triple G also finished strong in the championship round. So, you know, I had it uh, easy uh, seven rounds to five, and, and the knockdown, it didn't seem... Uh, didn't seem uh, that hard to, to score from my side. I thought the uh, Canelo decisions were much more controversial uh, than this fight, and, and even the Danny Jacobs fight, uh, you know, where uh, it was a split decision. I thought that was uh, uh, that would have been more uh, controversial than than, uh, than this fight. But either way, you can't take anything away from uh, from Devorchenko. I think he definitely raised his profile uh, in this fight, and. Uh, uh, you know he's always going to be a tough competitor, uh, regardless of uh, uh, of who he fights. He just uh, didn't have enough to beat uh, Triple G on that night. Right, right, yeah. Derevchenko, really, really solid fighter. You know, uh, you know, one of those guys who's kind of under the radar of of how good he is, and uh, yeah, absolutely showed um, showed how tough he was in there against Triple G. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, a lot of rumblings online, you know, oh, Triple G's getting old, he's getting hit a lot more. I mean, you know, is that just a function of, of, of Derevianchenko just being a really good, tough fighter with a bad style? or or uh, And I, I know there was rumors of uh, Triple G just being sick, too, maybe not being 100% uh, on the week of the fight. Um, I mean, how, how do you see it? I see, I see Triple G of beating... Uh... A young, hungry guy uh, that wanted uh, to do everything he could to to win the title. Uh, he came up short in a decision, a split decision loss against Danny Jacobs, and uh, I think Triple G put uh, to rest a lot of the doubters that said uh, he was avoiding him last year. Uh, Triple G hasn't avoided anyone, um, so uh, you know. In fact, he gave Devonchenko an opportunity. It was clearly Devonchenko's biggest payday of his career by far. And uh, he gave him a shot at the, uh, well, it, it was a vacant title, but uh, gave him a shot to fight him. I mean, Devonchenko was in the big arena at Madison Square Garden. Uh, again, it, it, uh, there, there was no losers in this fight. He, he raised his profile from where he was before. Now people know because he fought uh, Triple G. Now people know uh, who he is. And, and he was one of those guys that I could see easily uh, would have been avoided because he's a tough guy to fight, and he wasn't really that well-known. Uh, prior to this fight, but with that performance, uh, you know, I think uh, he's definitely uh, earned a shot at, you know, some of these other guys at the at the middleweight um, division. And uh, you know, as far as anything you take away from Triple G, you're taking away from from Devonchenko and his performance. Uh, you know, when you can beat a guy like that, knock a guy down in the first round, uh, do that type of damage, not only to the eye that was cut, but the other eye. I mean, I saw Devonchenko the next day, and uh, we have a lot of respect for what uh, what he did in the fight, but, uh, I mean, he, he t- clearly took uh, a lot of punishment. Uh, both of his eyes were closing and uh, swollen, and, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, but uh, it, was a, it was a great fight uh, between both guys, and uh, I don't see anything to the rumors. Uh, I mean, there's no question Triple G's 37 years old, but there's also no question that he he's one of the biggest punchers in the sport of boxing and one of the best conditioned athletes 
in the sport going 12 uh, hard rounds like that. I mean, you saw with the Canelo fights where most people thought he won both fights against a much younger Canelo in the prime of his career. And, um, uh, you know, so I, I don't see in, in any one of those three fights, even the Danny Jacobs fight had the knockdown in the Danny Jacobs fight. So, you know, when, when you're dominating or when you're beating, you know, guys like that, um, yeah, I don't. I don't see him slowing down, and I think there's still quite a. Uh, there's still a lot of action and a lot of gas uh, left in in his tank, especially with his style. Uh, you know, we didn't want to uh, blow out of proportion uh, the fact that he was sick. In fact, I didn't even uh, really bring that up until somebody asked me uh, about it, or I didn't acknowledge it. Uh, not really, nobody. I don't think on the on the Triple G side had acknowledged it until it was until it was brought up as a question, but. Um, uh, you know, I would say no fighter goes into the ring at 100%. I would say he was much worse in the Gabe Rosado fight uh, going into that fight. So we're certainly not going to use that as an excuse uh, to take away from uh, his performance uh, against Devrinchenko. you got to give Devrinchenko uh, all the credit in the world, uh, you know, uh, fighting the way he did for 12, uh, for 12 hard rounds. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he, he, he you know, I mean, Took it to Triple G, which you don't see anybody doing, you know. I mean, other than maybe Canelo in in, in the second fight, um, you know. And uh, yeah, definitely, you know, do credit to Derevianchenko and also to to Triple G for for fending him off at at thirty seven and showing he's still, you know. I mean, listen, you you have a very very credible argument that Triple G is still without question the the best in the world, you know. I mean, like you said, there are a lot of people who felt. I mean, obviously the first fight, there's no question that he got robbed on the scorecards. But um, second fight, definitely closer with Canelo. Um, and, uh, and we still maintain, Kurt, we still maintain, and I think we're in the majority, that he hasn't lost a fight. You know, the, the, the second Canelo fight was uh, a closer fight. There's no question that was an exciting fight. Canelo did... Uh, uh, didn't move as much as he did uh, in the first fight, but uh, I still didn't see him uh, winning. I, I don't think you can give Canelo seven rounds in, in, in that fight. Again, we're not we're not dwelling on that, but if, if you're going to bring that up, it's just, uh, you know, that 12th round seemed like it was pretty clear uh, a Triple G fight, and if one of those two judges that gave it to Canelo uh, would have given it to Triple G, uh, Gennady would have still kept his titles, and he'd be undefeated, and that's how we look at him as an undefeated fighter, and he just came right back. Now fought uh, this young uh, or younger hungry lion of Devrinchenko who had a tremendous amateur career, and um, you know I, I just don't buy into the argument that uh, that he's uh, that he's slipping or getting old. Maybe you know when he was fighting Proxa and these guys Macklin and Giel, you know all world class fighters, uh, knocking him out in that kind of fashion, stopping Martin Murray, uh, you know all the guys that literally would get into the ring with him, not the guys. Who wouldn't get in the ring with them? There's a probably a longer list of guys that wouldn't get in the ring with them <laughs> True. Uh, than there was um, uh, for the guys that, that agreed to take the fight. And uh, you know, we did the exceptional with Triple G. We were able to build him into a star without having that big marquee name of making him into a star. Where most fighters, you know, like a Manny Pacquiao, uh, they have the guys like uh, you know Barrera, Marquez, or guys that uh, would you know would get in the ring with them, but you know, literally no champion would dare to get in the ring with Triple G when, when we brought him up. Uh, when we first did the deal with HBO, HBO wanted to do, to do a middleweight tournament. You know, they wanted to have uh, Sergio Martinez uh, in there. I think they wanted to have, uh, uh, I think Giel was slated 
uh, at that time to be in the tournament and um uh, and one other fighter, you know, the other champions and uh Would it maybe Sturm. Yeah. Uh no, Sturm wasn't in the tournament because uh, he he was in in Germany, but there were four. It was a, it was a four man tournament. A four man tournament. Uh, Triple G is the WBA champion. Uh, Martinez is WBC champion, and I think Gil might have had the IBF champion at the time. I'm not 100 percent sure, but uh, either way, as soon as uh, HBO said the Triple G would be in the tournament, the other, <laughs> literally the other three guys jumped out of the <laughs> tournament and uh, or or didn't agree to the tournament anymore. Uh, you know, we were chasing uh, champions. We were offering them the, their biggest paydays of their career. And bringing, you know, multiple titles with them, and, and still couldn't couldn't get them to fight. So, like I said, we did the uh, virtually impossible, building a star in uh, from from someone that uh, no other high profile guy or champion was willing to fight until uh, Canelo. You know, he vacated that uh, WBC title when Triple G was the mandatory, and then I think it was two years later when then he finally did uh, agree to fight. Uh, Triple G. So that was uh, really the first, I would say, uh, star opponent that uh, Triple G uh, fought, uh, was able to fight in his career. And, um, you know, even the Martin Murray situation, you know, people, uh, sometimes the people who aren't knowledgeable uh, or informed on Triple G's career, you know, look at the guys that fought him and and they don't look at the guys that wouldn't fight him. And uh, Martin Murray, for example, nobody wanted to fight Martin Murray because when he fought Sergio Martinez in Argentina, and arguably knocked him down twice and only got credit for one knockdown, and most people thought he won that fight. Uh, nobody wanted to fight Martin Murray, and uh, Triple G actually went to Monaco, to Monaco because uh, Martin couldn't get a visa to the United States and fought him over there in Monaco, which uh, people you know, would just use that as an excuse of, uh, well, he can't get to the States, so we don't have to fight him. But Triple G went over there because Martin clearly was the highest uh, rated and highest named guy that would actually get in the ring uh, with him at that time. So, uh, you know, and and that was a tough, grueling fight. Went 11 rounds. You got to give Martin Murray a, a ton of credit for that fight, but uh, he came up short and, and uh, Triple G stopped him in the 11th round. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, listen, Triple G's had an amazing, amazing Hall of Fame run at, at, at middleweight. Um, and the fact that he's, you know, still... You know, at or near the top at, at 37, just as his testimony to the fact he's a great fighter. Um, yeah. Speaking of Canelo, I mean, any any indication that that, that fight might happen uh, next year since Canelo kind of has, has sworn it off uh, for this year and and uh, continues to kind of say, oh, you know, Golovkin, uh, you know, first it was, oh, he's got to win a title. Now he's got a title. Oh, you know. Now I don't have to fight him. <laughs> yeah, we knew we knew that was not a legitimate excuse about uh, having to win a title. But uh, you know that that's really a question for Canelo. Uh, Gennady's not dwelling on uh, on Canelo. You know, if that fight happens, uh, you know, uh, Gennady's certainly up for it. He was up for it in September when it was supposed to happen. I think that the Zone folks thought it was going to happen. Um, you know, I just saw a recent interview with Joe Markowski. He says uh, he'll be able to deliver that fight in uh, 2020. So, you know, uh, but that's really not a a question for me or or for Gennady. uh, The answer is Triple G is ready to fight Canelo whenever Canelo is ready to get back into the ring uh, with him. So, you know, when those fights were on pay-per-view, there was an incentive for Canelo to fight Triple G because those were uh, both of those fights broke a million uh, pay-per-view buys they uh, sold out uh, the T-Mobile arena 
in Vegas, did tremendous international business. So, you know, there was a big incentive for Canelo to fight Triple G at that time because, uh, you know, when you when you have a Triple G Canelo fight, it's really the sum of both fan bases, and both of them have huge fan bases uh, that made it a mega event. You know, when uh, when Canelo fought uh, other like lower profile names, it, it uh, didn't always translate in the same pay per view by level. Now with uh, his page structure on the zone. I think it's a little bit uh, uh, not as much of an incentive if you get paid the same to fight Triple G as somebody else. Naturally, <laughs> the tendency is going to be, let's not fight Triple G, let's take the money and fight somebody else. So, um, you know, but uh, you know, if, if that fight happens again, I know the fans would like to see a, a trilogy. They'd like to see a... Uh, a clear win uh, by either guy. Uh, we saw what was it, Pacquiao, Marquez, uh, four times before there was a real clear uh, winner. And um, you know, I, I think that's what the fans are looking for. Uh, it was clearly controversial both times uh, under the decisions. And um, uh, you know, if that fight uh, comes up, Triple G will be. Will be the first one to jump into the, to the ring with Canelo. If it doesn't come up, he's not gonna he's not gonna lose sleep, and he's gonna continue to plow his Hall of Fame career forward. And there's many other guys, uh, you know, in his division or near his division that uh, now seem to be willing to fight him. So you know, that's I think next year this can be another uh, big year for Triple G. He, he as you said, uh, he just won a title again. He's a two-time champion, and I think this is now since two, uh, 10 years straight where he's been a, a world champion. So, you know, he's had a tremendous run, probably the most dominant middleweight that we've seen uh, in in recent times, uh, especially when he went on that 23 knockout streak, uh, 20 uh, middleweight title defenses. Uh, you know, that hasn't been uh, accomplished in a long while, and Bernard Hopkins is the only other one to have uh, 20 title defenses. So, it shows you where where he's at in the, in the sport of boxing. Absolutely, absolutely, and, and you know, and at, at this point, you know, he's also formed his own promotional company, Triple G Promotions. And I know, you know, initially there, you know, people were, oh, you know, Tom's not working with him now. He's got his own company, this and that. And uh, I know you were vehemently uh, <laughs> going after people, saying, "Listen, that is just not the case." Um, so you know, putting putting the rumors to rest uh, for once and all. You, you're still you're the managing director, right, of, of of Triple G Promotions, correct? Yeah, Kurt, you know me. I don't I don't really go after people on social media, but uh, Triple G right. was the one that wanted <laughs> wanted me to address uh, some of the media that were putting out, uh, you know, rumors or speculation or. You know, sources say, uh, <laughs> you know, so he was the one that wanted me to address that, and and I did, and and uh, I'm still involved with uh, with Triple G Promotions. Um, you know, a lot of people think that he just started Triple G Promotions, which is not true. Uh, that's been in existence, I think, for over three years now, and uh, the Canelo fights were under the Triple G Promotions uh, banner, and. Uh, uh, you know, so we've done under Triple G Promotions. We've done some of the biggest uh, fights uh, in the sport of boxing. So um, yeah, I, I think uh, you know him taking control uh, of his career is uh, you know it's uh, when when you have a fighter in that position that can do that, whether it's a uh, Floyd Mayweather, Oscar De La Hoya, you know when you're when you're at that level, which Triple G is at right now, uh, you know it's good for him to. Uh, 
to uh, have his own promotional company uh, take control of his career, and and uh, I think with the deal with the zone with uh, with the amount of money that they're putting into boxing, you know, I think we'll see a lot of a lot more uh, big Triple G fights uh, coming up under uh, Triple G promotions. And he also has uh, Ali Akhmedov uh, under Triple G promotions, who's, uh, in my opinion, uh, uh, sure fire. Uh, future world champion at 168 pounds. Um, you know, he just stopped Andrew Hernandez, who went the distance uh, in his last uh, loss. Andrew, Andrew Hernandez went the distance with uh, Caleb Plant, uh, who's uh, you know current world champion. And for Ali to take him out in one round like that, uh, I think it's a real uh, testament to uh, Ali Akhmedov's skill. And um, you know when when uh, Gennady can sign you know, quality world-class fighters like that to his promotional company. I think it's a big statement. Uh, Brian Ceballo fought on both of uh, Triple G shows in uh, Madison Square Garden, and we're looking at, uh, you know, uh, him also uh, potentially signing with Triple G promotions. So, you know, Gennady is a likable guy. He's got a big influence, especially in his uh, part of the world uh, over there where so many quality fighters uh, come out of. So, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if we see, you know, a solid uh, stable being built up here for uh, 2020. Interesting, interesting, because uh, with Sabayo, because I, you know, I was, I was going to get to uh, your next upcoming show, which is with 360 Promotions, which is, uh, which is y- your own entity. Um, and I know you've got, you know, an awesome prospect in, uh, you know, Sergei uh, Boachuk there. And, and, uh, and, and Brian Ceballos is also a part of 360 Promotions. Um, so uh, let, let's, talk about, um, let's talk about 360 Promotions a little bit. Uh, you've got the show coming up uh, October 27th, Sunday at the Avalon in, in Hollywood. Uh, talk to me about, uh, about that show and, and, and who Sergei's uh, going to fight. Well, we're really bullish on uh, Surrey Boachuk, and uh, just so uh, so you understand uh, the difference between 360 promotions and uh, Triple G promotions. So Triple G promotions, uh, they promote all of uh, Triple G's fights and, um, you know, his events. And uh, as part of this deal with DAZN, uh, Triple G promotions has uh, some additional dates, in adi- you know, in addition to him fighting which is a, a great thing, and it's always the objective for any promotional company to get as many uh, dates as possible. Um, and uh, the 360 promotions really was, you know, when we were doing the Superfly shows on HBO, and also uh, it's a local, uh, we're doing a local show uh, in Hollywood. As you mentioned, I think this is the, the ninth edition of the uh, Hollywood Fight Nights. It's at a nightclub in Hollywood at the uh, Avalon Hollywood, one of the, one of the most popular uh, nightclubs in Hollywood, and we actually turn it into, we turn the nightclub into a uh, boxing venue where we put the ring right on the dance floor. Um, we have the VIP section with the booths. There's a balcony there, which is overlooking the ring, um, and it really has a fun atmosphere. There's celebrities that come out uh, because it's in the heart of Hollywood. Um, we do a very high-quality stream uh, on it. Uh, it's shown internationally. Um and uh, Box Nation has uh, picked it up in the UK, and uh, Brian Ceballo uh, fought on uh, a few of the uh, Hollywood shows, and it's really, uh, I created that uh, event or that series uh, to develop fighters, uh, you know, to get to the next level than, you know, whether they want to sign with the Triple G promotions or, you know, sign with a different uh, TV network. 
but that's really the launching pad. And you see where Brian Ceballo, you know, started there in Hollywood. You know, fought uh, two two great fights at the Garden. Uh, he fought a guy, Yuboff, who uh, was with the Salida promotion. They were convinced that they would beat Brian Ceballo. He was undefeated, uh, actually from Kazakhstan. Uh, and uh, Sabayo looked tremendous uh, in that fight. It was an eight-round uh, clear unanimous decision against Yuboff, a uh, big puncher, and uh, Brian's one of those guys that really raises his level of performance when the, the bright lights are on, when he's in the big arena uh, at Madison Square Garden. Sometimes the fighters will freeze, and you know they get nervous, and they have a lot of fans with them. Brian sells a lot of tickets, uh, you know, so he really has the whole package. Very smart uh and uh, intuitive fighter uh he's fluent in spanish um you know his his background is uh, his parents are dominican he was born in puerto rico and then uh, raised in brooklyn new york so he really has the complete package uh he's very popular there in the new york area like i said he sold a, a lot of tickets on both the triple g shows and uh, he would be somebody that you know would fit in perfectly with uh triple g promotions for the future but um you know, he fought on the uh, on the Hollywood shows to to build up his uh, build up his his uh, experience in the professional ranks and and his uh, and his record uh, to make that transition to uh, to those bigger uh, those bigger shows and and uh, the next uh, Hollywood fight nights is uh, October 27th. It's coming up here in just under uh, just about two weeks uh, two weeks away from actually it is two weeks away from uh, this Sunday. And uh, Surrey Bochuk is headlining it. Surrey is a 15 and 0 with 15 knockouts. He's trained by Abel Sanchez, who uh, kind of instilled that Mexican style into uh, Triple G. And uh, so Surrey's up there in Big Bear with Abel. He he uh, trained alongside of Triple G so many years uh, up there. So he sees the dedication and how hard Triple G works. And there's no coincidence. As hard as uh, Gennady trains, there's no coincidence why he's been at the top uh, of the sport for so long. And uh, I think Boachuk is right there following in his footsteps uh, with the big knockout power, uh, you know, 100% knockout ratio. And uh, uh, he's fighting Tyrone Brunson, which is a very interesting fight. Uh, Tyrone Brunson holds the record for the most uh, first-round knockouts to start a career. I think he had he had 19 first-round knockouts in his uh, the start of his career, so he's a big puncher. And uh, I saw a stat out of uh, 43 wins between these guys, uh, Boachuk and Brunson. 40 of them are by knockout. So I think the fans are going to see a lot of excitement uh, coming into that that show. That's really uh, just uh, you know for for that level of a show, uh, a very high quality fight. It'll be for the WBC Continental Americas title. At 154 pounds, uh, Brunson, I know, uh, is going to come to win, and, and uh, he's going to try to uh, not only win the fight, but, uh, uh, you know, we'll see how uh, how Boachuk reacts against a big step up in uh, in his uh, level of competition. And, and this is this is right there, 15 fights. Uh, he's really got to uh, prove to the fans, to the media, everything that I've been saying about him, everything that Abel Sanchez has been saying about him, uh, that uh, he, uh, that he is going to be a future world champion, but uh, it's one thing for us to say it; uh, it's another thing for him to prove it in the ring. And, and Triple G, when I when I had him pitched to uh, Showtime and to HBO back then, when he first came here to America, you know, I was saying the same thing. This guy, you know, he'll fight anybody. He's the WBA world champion. 
uh, all he needs is a shot. And sure enough, HBO gave him the slot uh, on on one of their shows. Actually, to go back to the Triple G story briefly, um, it kind of came by surprise because Sturm, Felix Sturm was one of those guys that just refused to get in the ring with Triple G. In fact, uh, he famously got so many exceptions from the WBA when uh, Triple G was a mandatory for over two years. And um, Sturm got uh, Daniel DeGeel to, he actually bought him off of that HBO show uh, to get him to fight in Germany. Uh, DeGeel had that IBF title at the time, and then it opened up the slot on that show for uh, Triple G to fight uh, against Dmitry Pirog, who was the WBO champion at the time. Nobody wanted to fight Pirog, because if you remember, Kurt, uh, Pirog was the one that uh, knocked out Danny Jacobs. Oh, yeah. Uh, a year before, so nobody wanted to fight that guy. And when HBO said, uh, "Do you want to fight a unification fight with Pierre August?" Uh, Triple G had absolutely no hesitation going in the ring to prove himself on HBO. And and uh, unfortunately, Pierog then once we accepted the fight, Pierog uh, got injured. He had a back injury, and that subsequently uh, he never uh, apparently recovered from it, or at least uh, not to compete in boxing again. So he never fought again after that. But uh, that's really uh, how it led to. Uh, his HBO slot. It wasn't planned by any means. It was uh, by default because he was supposed to fight uh, Sturm in Germany. Sturm uh, did the deal with Giel, and then uh, and that was the only way Sturm was able to avoid one more uh, fight with Triple G. Was uh, WBA said if you can do a unification fight, we'll we'll sanction one more time. Otherwise, you know you got to fight Triple G. And so he did what he could to to get Daniel Giel over there. He actually wound up losing to Giel, so he he, he should have just fought Triple G instead <laughs> of Giel. Uh, he would have lost anyway, but um, that that's that's what uh, created the opportunity on HBO here in the, in the United States, uh, at which, after which, you know, he just became a fan favorite where the fans were just demanding uh, on HBO, the, when are we going to see Triple G again? In fact, when, when he fought over Monte Carlo a couple times and HBO didn't show it, a lot of a lot of fans were threatening to cancel their subscription to HBO if they're not going to show the Triple G fight. So uh, <laughs> they they uh, quickly found out the uh, how popular Triple G was, not only uh, for their television ratings, but also for ticket sales. You know, he would sell out... Um, Madison Square Garden, you know, he sold out arenas all over the world, uh, the O2 Arena in London, uh, he sold out uh, T-Mobile twice against Canelo, he sold out the Forum uh, twice when he fought there, uh, StubHub back then, you know, he sold out uh, even his very first fight here in L.A. against Rubio, right? who was, an, who was known, but certainly not, uh, say, a huge ticket seller, and, and Triple G uh, broke the capacity uh, for that uh, StubHub Center uh, for for all time uh, boxing events. Uh, even you know great fighters like Andre Ward fought there, Arthur Abraham fought there, some Marquez fought there. So many great fighters fought there, and Triple G, you know, uh, a kid from Kazakhstan uh, breaks the breaks the record, shatters the, the record for uh, ticket sales at that arena. So it's uh, it, it's been a great a great run with him and. Um, you know that that kind of uh, was just one more uh, one more point of uh, you know that first step uh, getting uh, HBO onto uh, onto US premium uh, cable and uh, Boachuk I think is right there primed 
Oh, the point I was making is that Boachuk, you know, Triple G, once he got the opportunity, he was knocking everybody out, providing exciting fights. You know, there were there were boxers out there that couldn't sell tickets and just weren't as exciting, but Triple G was knocking everybody out, and that's what made him so popular so fast. And and Boachuk's got to do something similar if he wants to get to the similar level. He's got to also prove against uh, quality opponents that uh, he can he can beat these guys uh, and not only beat them but beat them convincingly. And then that'll uh, you know that obviously as a promoter that makes uh, my job a lot easier. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, Brunson. Uh, you know, I, I've never seen him in a boring fight. I mean, he either <laughs> knocks you out or gets knocked out. So uh, yeah. that should definitely be a, a, an excellent fight. I mean, I remember his fight with Kermit Cintron a couple years ago was a really good one. I think both guys were down, and he ended up stopping Cintron. So it's a really good matchup. It's a really good. Yeah, matchup. and he's had some. He's had some good wins, and uh, you know, recently, and uh, you know, the the Avalon is on, on Hollywood and Vine. So anyone that wants to come out there, it's three sixty promotions us. You can buy your tickets online, or you know, come to the door. Uh, we've sold out now. Uh, I think the last four shows in a row uh we have standing room uh, capacity there so uh, but it's a fun night it's uh, definitely uh, a great atmosphere the fans get to be right up uh you know ringside right up against the ring and you know when you go to a big arena show naturally it's a great energy like a madison square garden but you don't get anywhere near the ring here it's right up uh, to the ring you get to see the action up close and when you when you have uh, those type of quality matchups like Boachuk and uh, Brunson um, you know that uh, it, it's uh, it's an exciting exciting atmosphere like I said you get celebrities out there we also got a great co-feature on this show it's uh, uh, Philly Rubalcaba these are these are two local guys so it's kind of like a local rivalry so maybe that they're so they're not known on the national level but uh, Philly Rubalcaba who's 11 and 1 with seven knockouts is fighting undefeated Adrian Montoya Who's ten and zero with ten knockouts? And Montoya is originally from Mexico. He trains in Oxnard, and uh, Ruvalcaba is from Min- uh, Westminster, California. So that's one of those local rivalries that's going to be uh, exciting for the fans. Marco Deckman, who's a fan favorite, he sells a lot of tickets. He's trained by Freddie Roach. He's going to be on the show. George Navarro, who's undefeated, six and zero. Uh, with three knockouts, he's going to be on the show. Adrian Crone is also six zero. He's he's a fan favorite. Christian Robles, you know. So uh, the list goes on about uh, so many guys. Uh, we have one of Triple G sparring partners uh, on the show, Nathan uh, Weston. He's six and zero. He he sparred with Triple G uh, to get him ready for this uh, Devrinchenko fight. So there's uh it's going to be a, a really uh, high quality show for for this level for for a smaller venue uh, i think the fans definitely will get their money's worth and like i said you can uh, you can check it out on the stream on on our youtube uh, channel or on the 360 promotions uh, facebook page it's an open it's an open stream and uh and for the fans in the uk uh on box uh, box nation it's uh, it's really become a uh, one of the most popular uh, boxing series especially here in the in the uh, southern california area the fans uh, really look forward to it and uh we're excited about uh, boachuk coming back on the show yeah sounds like a loaded card i mean yeah i mean and and, and like you said it's a, it's a very intimate arena not a bad seat in the house so those are definitely the type of shows that uh you know are sometimes uh, the most fun to go to for sure yeah um, well, speaking of Southern California and, and Los Angeles, I wanted to get into your background a little bit. Um, you uh, you grew up in, uh, in, Cal- in, in in Los Angeles, right? You're a Los Angeles native? 
Yeah, born and raised in uh, in Los Angeles. I grew up in the San Fernando Valley. Um, went to school out there in Woodland Hills. And um, now I live in Santa Monica. I've been in Santa Monica probably now, I'd say the last uh, 15 years, something like that. But, um, yeah, it's uh, uh, it's nice to be a local uh Californian, uh, you know, growing up here, I've seen a lot of, I've seen how it's grown so much, you know, with people coming from the East Coast or the colder climates uh, to be out here in the Southern California area. Um, and uh, I think you were going to touch on, you know, how I actually got into uh, into boxing. And uh, yeah, I mean, well, well, let's let's. I mean, you went to El Camino High. I mean, did you? Were you? Yeah. Were you? Uh, were you a big boxing fan growing up, or? Sports fan? You know, it's funny, Kurt. Uh, I, I never really was a big boxing fan. Uh, naturally, I knew uh, <laughs> the big names. I remember, uh, I really remember one time listening to an Ali fight on the car radio uh, back then. Uh, it must have been an AM, you know, probably an AM sports uh, station. And um, uh, But I wasn't the biggest boxing fan. I, you know, I was more into NBA, the Lakers. Uh, out here, uh, the Rams were out here at the time. Even the Raiders. I remember I went to uh, see the Raiders in '84 in their um, championship uh, season uh, when they w- when they won the uh, the Super Bowl. So um, I was on the wrestling team in uh, in high school and uh, track and field. I did high jump at El Camino, but um, uh, my background is actually in real estate and finance. That's how that's where I started. Uh, uh, Selling properties, doing uh, mortgages uh, for for people, uh, buying homes, and um, a friend of mine uh, who actually went to a rival high school, uh, El Camino, and then he went to uh, Canoga, Canoga High, uh, which is literally about 10-15 minutes away. Um, Harlan Warner, he was representing some of the biggest uh, named athletes uh, in sports. Ironically, when I just mentioned the Ali fight. You know, naturally, I saw the Tyson fight. I remember seeing Tyson. Uh, he, actually, Mike was one of my favorite uh, boxers uh, of all times. His he's, his birthday is literally, I think, uh, three or four days away from mine. So uh, we're the same age, and and uh, you know, I followed his career. Followed uh, you know when he was the youngest heavyweight champion, and I remember seeing the uh, I remember seeing the uh, the fight from uh, Japan against Buster Douglas at at a at a bar sports bar and uh seeing the the big upset so that definitely stood out i remember the ray leonard fights you know with ray uh, being a uh, olympic uh, gold medalist in 76 uh naturally i remember uh when ali uh when muhammad uh, lit the torch in 96 when uh, vladimir klitschko is before i met vladimir but uh, when vladimir won the uh, gold medal in the 96 olympics uh, and uh Coincidentally, Ali had lit the torch. I had known I had known Muhammad. We we had done a lot of work with Muhammad uh, before that, but uh, I didn't know I would come to work with Vladimir Klitschko in the future. <laughs> uh, you know, um, from those '96 Olympics. But uh, so Harlan uh, was a wizard with uh, sports memorabilia. He did uh, card shows. You know, back then there were baseball card shows. He was doing the the, the card shows, and then. He decided instead of uh, paying these uh, big-name athletes uh, like uh, Ali, like Sandy Koufax, like uh, Jim Brown, like Joe Namath, who all became clients of his, instead of paying them to do appearance at these baseball card shows, he decided he would represent them 
when they made appearances, and he would uh, try to get more value for them uh, for their career. Back then, you know, the sports memorabilia really wasn't a developed uh, market. It was, uh, you know, baseball cards. Every kid, you know, kind of collected cards, but, uh, uh, you know, they didn't realize the value that uh, these cards might one day have or, you know, the value that their idols uh, in sports would have, you know, when they would make an appearance or the autograph market. Uh, Harlan really uh, developed also the autograph market uh, for Muhammad. And uh, I remember... I forget the exact numbers, but I think uh, he raised his uh, the value of his autograph, uh, you know, ten, twenty uh, fold, you know, over over the course of um, the time that he was uh, working with them, and um, um, you know, it, it was uh, it was very interesting uh, working with these sports legends. Um, that was kind of my exposure then, really, to the the business of sports. It was retired athletes, but uh, the business of sports. I remember uh, Joe Namath com- coming over to the house. Uh, I had bought a house with Harlan uh, at one point, and uh, he was at the house, and uh, Harlan was giving him the balls to sign, and then Joe would throw me the, the football, and I would like kind of stack them over so I could say, you know, I caught uh, passes from the great Joe Namath or... It's awesome. Or... Uh, you know, dealing with Sandy Koufax, you know, meeting him, he was uh, just, you know, is just a, such an inspirational person, you know, really uh, kind of soft-spoken, but, you know, what he accomplished on the baseball field, you know, especially here, the Dodgers, uh, the local baseball team, you know, that uh, every kid here in L.A., uh, you know, grew up uh, watching and, and be, being Dodger fans, you know, uh, being, having a chance to meet Sandy or... Uh, you know, when, when Muhammad would come over and we had a speed bag in the garage <clears throat> and then he would, you know, he had the, uh, the Parkinson's and, uh, but whenever he kind of got into his rhythm with the boxing and he'd start hitting the speed bag, you just saw a lot, a lot of the old movement come back and it was just a really exciting, uh, really exciting time. And, uh, the first trip that I remember going on with Harlan was, uh, he did a deal between uh, Ronald Reagan and, uh, Mikhail Gorbachev. You know, that was the big, that big uh, perestroika where, you know, Reagan gave that famous speech at the Berlin Wall. Uh, you know, Mr. Gorbachev, tear this wall down. And, and so he did a deal for charity for both of their foundations, uh, where they would sign baseballs or, uh, you know, Time Magazine covers. I remember, you know, we ordered, uh, hundreds of uh, Time Magazine covers, and uh, <laughs> I was literally cutting off the covers so we could bring them to Moscow for, uh, you know, first uh, Reagan would sign it, and then uh, we flew, that was my first trip with Harlan, we flew uh, flew to Moscow to meet uh, Mikhail Gorbachev, and uh, <laughs> back then, in the early 90s, you know, when he still had that whole Cold War, the memories of, uh, you know, the U.S. And, and Russia, and we were there, and the hotels weren't very developed, and the restaurants was still, you know, it wasn't uh, like Moscow now. It was one of the most vibrant cities in the world. Whenever I go there to visit, it's, you know, Red Square, and some of the, some of the uh, you know, restaurants that they have there are just tremendous uh tremendous places to go to but uh, back then it was uh it was really uh, completely different and so uh, i distinctly remember uh walking in and meeting you know sitting down with uh, gorbachev uh, probably we were there for about 45 minutes and he had his interpreter with him and uh it was just a it was really uh you know kind of a surreal uh, experience um you know meeting a world leader uh, that uh, really changed the course of history uh, back then, and uh, you know that kind of led to uh, you know other uh, you know just interacting with some of his, his other clients, and 
the uh, the only uh, Klitschko fight that I had missed uh, back then was I remember uh, against Ray Mercer when uh, Vladimir fought Ray Mercer in uh, in Atlantic City, and uh, uh, I was uh, with uh, Muhammad Ali in Germany, uh, where the Will Smith film had come out back then. The uh, you know the Ali movie uh, where Will Smith, Smith was starring. And there was a small town in East Germany where the mayor was a big boxing fan and really wanted to compete with some of the bigger named cities, you know, bigger cities in the West like Frankfurt or Munich or Berlin. And uh, the small town called Riza, uh, they wanted to have the premiere of the Ali movie in Germany. So Mohammed, uh, we flew over there with him and we were there for uh, three or four days. And, uh, you know, they paid a you know, a substantial fee for him to, to come over there and make an appearance. And um, uh, I just remember, you know, this is one of the stories that I always relate to uh, younger fighters coming up, or it really applies to anyone but uh, younger athletes or specifically younger boxers, where, um, you know, people were literally crying. Uh, the German people that met him, the fans uh, were crying. They were, they were like standing outside his hotel room, just like uh, you saw, remember, like the days of Michael Jackson where the sure. fans were like, you know, underneath his balcony and waiting for him to make an appearance or, you know, look out the window. And it was a similar thing with, with Muhammad where they knew, they knew, because it was big news over there, that they knew which hotel he was standing at, staying at. So, uh, you know, whenever he would leave the hotel or come to the hotel, he'd be signing autographs. And I remember, I think it was the second day, either the second or third day where he was coming and, you know, we were in the lobby of the hotel coming. It was kind of late. I think it was German time, maybe uh, nine o'clock at night, but uh, you know, with the jet lag and with his uh, Parkinson's and everything, and his wife Lonnie was there with us, and um, you know, everyone was kind of tired. Everyone was jet lagged, and, and she's like, you know, Muhammad, you know, we need to go to the room, and you know, she was always concerned for his health and you know, not overexerting himself. And uh, you know, I just remember the uh, my parents are both German, so I speak the language fluently, and that really helped me with the Klitschko, uh, the Klitschko days. Uh, you know, when they were fighting in Germany, but. Um, you know, seeing the German fans so emotional, you know, these are, you know, men and women, you know, in their 30s or 40s, uh, you know, literally crying because it, it it brought back memories of them watching the TV with their father, you know, at like four o'clock in the morning, five o'clock in the morning, watching, watching Muhammad fight uh, back then, um, you know, brought back so emotional uh, memories. And so, you know that really touched Muhammad, and he's and he said, uh, you know, I'm, I, he just stayed there literally for probably over an hour, just signing autographs, uh, you know, for the fans, and and uh, you know, such a touching moment when you see so many athletes t- today, where uh, they just don't appreciate uh, the fans or take the time, you know, to sign the autographs or take the photographs, and here's Muhammad, uh, arguably. Uh, the greatest of all time, a living legend uh, back then, who uh, uh, you know was uh, made sure he signed as many autographs as he could in the lobby of that hotel before he went up uh, before he went up uh, to his room to go to sleep, and that was really uh, a touching moment. It really it really seemed Kurt uh, with Muhammad specifically. You know, there was a lot of controversy. You know, when he was an active fighter in his career. Um, you know, whether it was the Vietnam War or his stance, uh, you know, he took a big stance on the racial relations and things like that. And, uh, you know, it seemed like everything proved to be correct what uh, Muhammad stood for. You know, he was a very religious man and a big supporter of, uh, 
uh, Islam, and uh, uh, it. Um, the point I was going to make is that when he was so outspoken and he was saying, you know, he's the greatest of all time, and you know, so a lot of people discounted uh, him because his personality was so brash and braggadocious, and so a lot of people discounted him. And then, you know, after having. Uh, the Parkinson's uh, and slowing down and his speech was getting impaired and he was like very soft-spoken. It almost like he had a bigger voice where everyone just uh, like when he entered the room, everyone turned and uh, it just like he commanded so much respect and so much attention, uh, barely, you know, be, just being very soft-spoken uh, as opposed to earlier in his career or his life where he was uh, so outspoken and, and uh, many people had discounted, you know, what he uh, had to say. But uh, it was, it was, um, that was a very touching moment uh, dealing with, uh, you know, being with Muhammad over there in Germany or another another time. I remember uh, when we were in Atlantic City, I was with Harlan and, and Muhammad made an appearance over there. Uh, uh, I think it might have been around one of the Kevin Kelly fights. Uh, when when Kevin was fighting in Atlantic City, but uh, uh, I remember walking into the casino, and, and Muhammad was one of those guys and never wanted to walk in the back door. You know, he, he he said a number of times, you know, he worked his whole life to become famous, and for people to recognize him, why would he hide from why would he hide from his fans? You know, so you know, unlike most people, most celebrities that kind of go in with their security through back doors and you know uh, the kitchens or whatever up the elevators, like he walked in walked in the front door and I remember this one casino I think it was Bally's uh, Atlantic City at the time and uh, you know when people first saw him in the lobby you know, it's like the people that were standing there it was like one of those setups where you walk in the lobby and then it kind of goes down steps and then it opens up into the casino floor so the people that were you know in the lobby they saw him first and everyone like turned their heads and everyone got quiet when they, they realized it was Muhammad Ali and then it's just like a wave uh going over the people you know how loud casinos are you have the slot machines you have people sure. yelling at the blackjack tables the crap tables whatever it is and uh, you could slowly see when people started realizing why were people like looking at the front door and then it just like like a wave going through the casino and it was like it was almost became totally silent when they realized it was Muhammad Ali walking into the walking into the casino and it was just such a powerful moment uh, like I said where he really wasn't able to speak uh, you know as as he did earlier but uh, just the, the his presence com- commanded such a respect from the people and the fans and and uh, without saying a word he just had such an impact on uh, on those people just to be in his presence it was that was really another moving uh, experience that I had with him absolutely absolutely yeah, he's, he's pretty much uh, you know the closest thing we have to like a real life superhero hero you know i mean he just was he just transcended not just boxing but sport you know i mean he touched a lot of people and uh yeah i I can only imagine what it would be like to hang out with him because yeah he's arguably the most famous man in the world while he was uh while he was still alive so there's no, yeah, no question. They they once said that uh, you could drop uh, like Muhammad could jump out of an airplane and land, whether it's the deepest jungle in Africa or you know in the Philippines or uh, Asia or you know regardless of where it was, and he'd be recognized. You know, so he was like the most at that time. He was the most recognized person, not athlete, the most recognized person in the world. And uh, you know, he did. Uh, he was really. Uh, you know, committed to his principles, and like I said, a lot of the things, or you know, that he stood for back then, all proved to be right. And you know, especially somebody, 
you know, willing to give up, uh, what was it, three years of uh, the prime of his career, or over three years of the prime of his career, and, and he was probably the highest, or one of the highest paid athletes at the, uh, you know, in, in the world at that time, and to give up, I mean, can you imagine it would be like, uh, you know, one of the athletes today, LeBron or whoever, whoever you want to pick out, can you imagine them sitting out for three years and how many millions of dollars they would be foregoing? Uh, for not fighting, and that's exactly what Muhammad did because he was so committed to his principles, and uh, and that's what uh, that's what happened uh, uh, back then. So not only did he talk about it, his actions really uh, uh, fulfilled what uh, what his beliefs were. Absolutely, and, and you know, it wasn't just sitting out either. I mean, he he was going to go to jail. <laughs> you know, right. he was like, yeah, it wasn't, he was he was risking choice, for sure, literally yeah, risking the le- rest of his life, you know, for uh, yeah. for a cause. So that's that's definitely putting your principles, you know, uh, uh, ahead of, of of everything, which is you know incredibly yeah. admirable. But um, but yeah, Mister Harlan Werner, just uh, you know, a, a guy who uh, was like you said, kind of the the wonderkind of. Uh, of sports memorabilia. I mean, he, he got a start while he was in high school. And yeah, you, you, you know, you, you talked about Sandy Koufax and, and I know Ted Williams was another guy who, who he got. And these were like two of the most reluctant, you know, legends, you know, to, to do anything, you know, uh, you know, even to talk to the press, let alone go out to a card show. And the fact that he got them, uh, you know, uh, motivated to go to these things. I mean, he's just, you know, pretty, pretty incredible, uh, salesman. (laughs) uh, Yeah. Harlan, Harlan really was a pioneer there in the sports memorabilia, the collectible market. And, uh, he, he, uh, revolutionized a lot of the, a lot of the, uh, the way, you know, that, that whole industry, uh, developed. So yeah, definitely. And that's how, you know, because of that, then, so uh, Harlan, uh, you know, was an expert in uh, retired athletes and memorabilia, and then uh, uh, because of uh, our dealings and our relationship with Muhammad, uh, he wanted to get into uh, active uh, boxers, managing active boxers, and a lot of people had approached us as like, well, you work with Ali, we'd like you to work with us, and um, you know, the first uh, first boxer that we ever signed uh, on the management side was uh, Kevin Kelly out of uh, Flushing Queens, New York, uh, you know, known as the Flushing Flash, and you know, Kevin was uh, uh, certainly uh, uh, one of the most outstanding uh, boxers at, at, at that time, uh, you know, in the featherweight division. So this was uh, around like 1991, I think, is is when you got started, right? In, in boxing. That's when we first started. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You have a good memory. That was in '91. <laughs> Yep. When we first started, and Kevin was another guy that uh, he was mandatory for a long time. I think he was actually mandatory in all three div- uh, all three sanctioning bodies at that time because he had just beaten everybody. And but he couldn't get the the world title fight, and then we came in and and we really pushed for him to uh, get the world title fight. I remember uh, I remember that like it was yesterday. That was in Reno, Nevada. Uh, when he fought, uh, I think that was Goyo Vargas, uh, right. to win his WBC uh, featherweight championship, and uh, uh, yeah, that was a, that was a special moment. Uh, Kevin was a special guy. He uh, he uh, he was a legend in Madison Square Garden. Uh, he had fought there maybe 17 times between the theater, which at that time was called the Felt Forum, uh, right. but uh, the theater and then and the big arena. Uh, had some of the most memorable fights there. Remember, uh, he fought Troy Dorsey. Ah, it's a there. war. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a war. And then uh, uh, I remember the uh, Nassim Hamed fight. 
he fought there. That was one of the most exciting fights I've ever been to. Six rounds, no, four rounds, and six, uh, six knockdowns. knockdowns be, yes, between the two of them, and uh, that's the best, the best field. live fight I've ever seen, and I've seen yeah, a lot. That, Absolutely, that the really, best. The, the crowd was going nuts. The the action was incredible. Yeah, it was. Yeah, the, the best live fight I've ever seen. It's an amazing, amazing event. Yeah, and when you think of uh, selling out Madison Square Garden, you know, for two featherweights to do it, right. uh, it really was a big, uh, a big statement. But uh, I remember uh, Kevin got onto HBO because uh, Lou DiBella back then was, uh, um, you know, the person responsible for you know who who would uh, you know get on the network and and uh, you know featherweights back then. Yeah, Kevin was literally the first featherweight. Believe since Salvador Sanchez to be on HBO, and right. uh, you know they started focusing on the heavier weights, the middleweights, uh, naturally the heavyweights uh, back then, Lennox Lewis, and um, uh, you know they kind of lost the uh, for the lighter weight divisions. You know anything under lightweight really uh, wasn't uh, in their in their wheelhouse, and uh, so Kevin, I think he kind of cornered Lou in the bathroom one time at the Garden. <laughs> And it just kept talking. I mean, Kevin had a giant, uh, or has a giant personality, and uh, just cornered Lou, and I think he gave him, like, some of his pencils and some balloons, and, like, he always had these things with uh, his uh, Flushing Flash logo on it. <laughs> and uh, Lou was so impressed with the way he spoke uh, and, uh, naturally, uh, you know, his his record uh, in the ring that uh, he agreed to put him on uh, on that show in Reno, Nevada, and that was, um, uh, I think, Michael Moore was the uh, the headliner at that time as as a heavyweight, and uh, it was great for Kevin because he was always the co-feature to a heavyweight uh, headliner, and his fights were always ten times more exciting than the heavyweights. So the fans <laughs> wanted to say, fans that I want to see Kevin Kelly, and he was on, uh, yeah, Michael Moore was the headliner there. Then he was on a Lennox Lewis undercard uh, as the co-feature, and again, you know, he always provided the most exciting fights on the show so you know it was uh, you know he became a, a fan favorite so he was the first boxer that uh, we worked with and then we signed uh, Oba Carr out of Detroit Detroit Michigan who uh, I think Oba was probably uh, the best fighter that I know that uh, could put, beat pretty much every, everyone and the uh, best fighter uh, that I know that uh, never won a world title you know at that time uh, Oba was uh, a welterweight coming up and uh if you remember, he was kind of a staple on the USA Tuesday Night Fights. Absolutely. Uh, I think he was the first fighter to actually have a deal, a multi-fight deal with, with USA because of uh, his skill. And, and uh, you know, he came up in the Kronk system with Emmanuel Stewart out of Detroit. And, um, uh, you know, he, he just couldn't, at the time, he couldn't beat the champions. Uh, you know, he first shot was... Uh, with uh, Felix Trinidad, then he came up short against Ike Corte, and then again against uh, Oscar De La Hoya. So when you have those guys as champions, you know losing to those legends, uh, you know it was uh, it was no shame in that. But uh, I remember the fight down in uh, Mexico when he fought uh, Felix Trinidad. He knocked down Trinidad in the second round, and then uh, Trinidad got up and, and was able to stop him. I think it was either the fourth or sixth round, but. Uh, it came up short there, and you know, Ike Corte hit a good fight against Ike Corte. It was a close fight, and then uh, with Oscar, that was uh, '99 
Uh, I remember that. It was the first uh, fight at Mandalay Bay where uh, oh, wow. Oscar versus Obacar, uh, the very first fight at that Mandalay Bay Event Center when they first opened in 99. And uh, that was a very close fight. It was actually even. I remember Richard Steele was the referee in that fight, and, and Eddie Carr, uh, Oba's father, just really uh, didn't have a good feeling about uh, Richard uh, being the referee. And, and like I said, it was even going into, I think it was the eighth round, and then uh, Richard had taken away two points from Oba, one for a low blow, which was uh, borderline uh, low blow, another one for an accidental headbutt. And, uh, you know, after getting two points taken away in the, in the same round, it just uh, kind of mentally took Oba out of the out of the fight and uh, Oscar was able to you know he, he wound up pulling out that fight not to take anything away from Oscar so he, he was clearly uh, you know one of the most dominant champions at that time but uh, yeah that kind of took Oba out of his out of his rhythm but uh, yeah those were the first two guys that uh, I started working with and then uh, you know after that we signed uh, uh, Shane Mosley uh, who was that that was an interesting story with Shane where uh, Kevin was a legend uh, you know very one of the most popular fighters in the New York uh, area, uh, you know, training at Gleason's Gym, uh, actually at the PAL over there by uh, Flushing Meadows Park. But, uh, you know, he was at Gleason's quite a bit. And uh, I remember we brought uh, Shane from the West Coast, who, who really didn't have a national presence. He, he was known certainly here in the L.A. area, uh, being from Pomona. And, and uh, he was one of those guys that n- none of the fighters that knew him or sparred with him wanted to fight him. So we took him to New York one time uh, when Kevin was getting ready for one of his fights. And, you know, Kevin was kind of introducing the people, uh, you know, his friends, and the media and everyone out there on the, on the East Coast. And I remember bringing him into Gleason's gym, and nobody knew who he was. And Hector Roca was one of the trainers there at Gleason's, and he had uh, some real world-class, uh, lightweight or even 140-pounder. And uh, we asked him if uh, you know there was any sparring, and uh, so Shane went in with that guy. And I remember Jack. <laughs> it was funny. Jack said, "We go to New York. Make sure he doesn't spar without me being there." But uh, Shane wanted to wanted to and uh yeah i remember uh everyone's eyes lit up like who's this guy you know <laughs> i've ever heard about you know just dominating the sparring against a world-class fighter out there in new york so that was kind of the legend there with uh with shane we uh were successful with shane when no like i said uh, it was kind of a similar situation back then to triple g where nobody wanted to fight him uh he just uh, uh people from the amateurs uh, to uh, you know when he had those legendary sparring sessions with Gennaro Hernandez and you know all the all the fighters here in uh, in California Shane just loved to spar so uh, none of the champions they, they wanted to fight him and and uh, we were able to work out a deal with Cedric Kushner to get him a world title fight on HBO at the time uh, Cedric was involved with uh, Philip Holiday right. and uh, wound up uh, getting uh, Shane a slot on HBO against Philip Holiday, he became the IBF champion. And I, I remember that was when Lou was still at HBO, and Lou said, you know, Shane had a stomach virus going into that fight. And Lou actually said, uh, you know, you have to get a, a couple wins on USA before you get back on HBO, because Shane won that fight, became champion, but wasn't as dominant as his, uh, as his normal performances. And so then he went back to USA for uh, for one fight, had an incredible performance, and then, you know, was back on HBO and then had his tremendous run. Uh, on HBO and the, the the fights against Oscar and you know all those all those great fights that Shane had over his uh, over his career. 
Absolutely, absolutely. So, how long were you with Shane? Uh, until until what point in time did you did you manage Shane? That was a little bit of a disappointing uh, situation because we got him. We did everything we said we were going to do with Shane or for, for Shane. Uh, we got him the world title. We we guaranteed him the the title fight within a year of starting to work with him, and that was the fight we got with Philip Holiday. And I think it was maybe uh, three or four fights after that. And then it just, uh, you know, Jack got more involved on the business side, and it just kind of fell apart. Uh, you know, I really wish we could have done more for Shane, you know, on the sponsorship side, on the endorsements, uh, negotiating some of the purses for him. But uh, uh, Jack wanted to take more control over that, and we just uh, wound up uh, ending the relationship uh, there, not by, not by our, our choice, uh, unfortunately. But, uh, look, you know, Shane had a great career, and I'm friends with Shane now. Uh, we we settled our differences, and, and uh, you know, I think Shane was one of the most dominant fighters I've ever seen at uh, 135 pounds. And for him to make that transition to go straight from 135 to 147, which which I wouldn't have recommended at the time. Right, right, absolutely, you know, absolutely. You know, stop at 140 and make a couple fights there, and then go to 147. But he went straight into the Oscar fight at 147. But they were confident. Uh, you know, he he was very familiar with Oscar. He fought him in the amateurs and wound up uh, winning that fight at Staples Center. And uh, you know, again, he had a tremendous career. But we were we were definitely in- instrumental in getting. Uh, that uh, title fight for him and and uh you know i see shane every now and then uh, here in la and always uh you know have good things to say to him so uh, that was that was uh uh so that was the third fighter after uh kevin and oscar uh, not oscar uh, oba and then uh shane and then uh and then after uh that uh we signed ed mahone I don't know if you uh, were familiar with Ed, but I know I know Ed very well because he's from the St. Louis area, and I kind of made yeah. my name representing St. Louis fighters initially, Teron oh, Millet okay. and Corey Spinks. So yeah, Ed, yeah. Uh, very familiar with Ed Mahone. Yep. Yeah, Ed, Ed's <laughs> from St. Louis. You're right, and uh, he was uh, he was fighting at the Forum. Uh, he was one of those guys that uh, had a lot of knockouts. Uh, I wouldn't say he. He was the most dedicated guy as far as training <laughs> right. uh, was concerned. But um, uh, oh, in between then, uh, I forgot uh, that uh, I also worked with James Tony for uh, a few fights after after he lost to Roy Jones. Uh, we got him some of his comeback fights on uh, HBO, the Montel Griffin fights. I remember uh, he fought in, in uh, Fantasy Springs once against Richard Hardface Mason. I still have his signed trunks from that fight hanging in my in my office and uh james was one of the most talented guys i've ever seen you know athletically gifted in the ring uh he he didn't have the most uh after that uh, after he moved up from middle he didn't have the most discipline uh for his training or or eating habits unfortunately because uh you know had he had he stayed dedicated or, or disciplined uh you know i think he could have really uh you know, had some more tremendous wins, but uh, you know, James James had one of the most storied careers uh, in boxing. You know, that great win over Michael Nunn, and you know, what can you say? He, he, a tremendous uh, fighter. He beat Holyfield in the heavyweight division. Right. But uh, no, it, was, it was fun working with James for I think maybe four or five fights. I worked with uh, James. It was uh, it was a good run with uh, with James. Interesting, um, you know, because he was one of the biggest names in boxing uh, at the sure. time. So that was an interesting experience. And then that's when I uh, got involved with Ed Mahone. And uh, Ed was undefeated. He was uh, number one in the WBO. 
heavyweight division. I think he was an NABO champion, and so I was able to put together the fight between Ed and Vitaly Klitschko. Uh, remember, that was in, in 1999. So um, that was a big year because not only did Ed uh, fight uh, Vitaly, but that, that was, again, that was the, the year that uh, Opakar fought uh, fought Oscar De La Hoya. But, uh, so I brought uh, Ed over to Germany. Uh, he wound up, unfortunately, uh, he had some back spasms going into the fight and just wasn't that well prepared as you would think or as you would want a world world class fighter or a world title challenger. Uh, Vitaly was a WBO champion at the time, heavyweight champion, and I think that was his first title defense, in fact. And uh, so we did that deal, and uh, Vitaly wound up uh, stopping Ed in the third round. But uh, I had known uh, their publicist uh, very well, uh, Bern Bonte, who actually wound up becoming their manager uh, later right, on. Right. But uh, Bern had uh, introduced me to uh, Vitaly at the time, and you know, I told Vitaly I was, you know, uh, the work that I was doing with uh, Muhammad, and and um, uh, I developed, uh, I stayed in contact with Vitaly. I told him, you know, if you ever want to come to LA and and meet. Uh, Muhammad Ali, you're welcome. You know, I didn't really, you know, he said, yeah, I'll come. You know, we, we stayed in touch, but uh, I didn't really take it seriously. But sure enough, uh, I think it was like four or five months later uh, after that fight, he came over to L.A. We set up the meeting with Ali, and, you know, that was his idol, uh, naturally. I mean, really any boxer's idol, but uh, he met him at, at our office, and uh, and uh, I just developed a very strong personal relationship with Vitaly since then um, that's how I got involved in the Klitschko business because of uh, he wasn't happy with the German promoter that he had uh, ironically it was the same German promoter that uh, Triple G was involved with when, when he first went into the, to the professional ranks but um, you know, I told Vitaly after a couple of years of building up a good personal relationship with him I said you know you should start your own promotional company because you know the contract was coming up with the German promoter he wasn't happy with the uh, the way he was being promoted, and um, you know, I told him, I said, you know, if the TV companies are w- willing to deal with you directly, and the arenas want you to fight uh, in their arenas, then um, you should uh, start your own company. And sure enough, that's how we started uh, K2. It was, you know, I came up with the name. Uh, it was Klitschko times two, and you know, K2 is a famous mountain top that uh, I figured fit. Uh, it suited the the height of both uh, Vladimir and Vitaly, and uh, um, yeah, that's, uh, we did the first fight. I remember the fight with Lennox Lewis. Uh, that was an interesting story. I'll tell you briefly that, that story. Uh, it was Lennox, uh, Vitaly was the mandatory for Lennox. And that was another situation where Lennox, uh, got a few exceptions from the WPC not to fight, not to fight as mandatory. And so I took, uh, both Vladimir and Vitaly to the press conference when they were announcing Lennox Lewis's fight at Staples Center. Believe he was going to fight Kirk Johnson. At right, the time. right, right. That was in 2003, and uh, I brought I bought I brought both brothers down, and uh, Mike Tyson was supposed to be an undercard. So Lennox Lewis was the main event, but Mike Tyson really was the ticket seller. So Lennox was a champion, and Mike was supposed to be the the one that was going to sell the tickets, and. Um, and uh, as soon as I walked, uh, we parked in the parking lot. I remember uh, Steve Kim came up to the car. You know, he ran over. He saw I had both uh, Vladimir and Vitaly with me, and he's like, "Tom, you know, I heard uh, Tyson's off the show. You know, he he he's not going to fight on the show." So all of a sudden, you know, kind of an idea lit up in my head, 
and we had a relationship with uh, Dan Beckerman back then uh, at Staples Center, um, and they were concerned. Uh, they were concerned with Tyson being off the show. You know how it was going to go with Lennox uh, carrying the show, uh, and so uh, we went to the press conference. It was cordial. You know, Vitaly Natri was there to to tell anyone that would listen to him that he should be getting the title shot and he should be the one fighting him instead of Kirk Johnson, but with. Uh, with um, with Tyson being off the show, uh, we looked at that as an opportunity. We, we talked to Staples directly, and uh, they liked having uh, Vitaly uh, on the show. Uh, there was a big Ukrainian population uh, community out here in Los Angeles, and uh, they felt it would uh, complement uh, Lennox uh, on the show. And, and sure enough, we got him as the co-feature uh, on the show, and then Kirk Johnson got injured. And uh, that's how we made the fight with uh, Lennox Lewis and Vitaly Klitschko, one of the most memorable heavyweight championships, uh, I think, in history, and uh, certainly one that I've seen, uh, where uh, Vitaly was winning the fight. He was winning the fight on a number of rounds, but uh, Lennox opened up that big gash on uh, Vitaly's eye and his cheek, and... uh, you know, it was uh, that was an exciting fight. I really, in my heart, to this day, believe that if that referee had let the fight go on, even just one more round, that Vitaly would have won that fight because Lennox, in that sixth round, Vitaly was winning four rounds to two going into the sixth round, and uh, you looked at Lennox just uh, after the sixth round just collapsed on his uh, stool, and uh, the doctor, the referee, actually brought the doctor in to look at the, because I talked to the referee afterwards, actually, uh, a while after that fight, and he said he brought him in not because of the cut, because the cut was pretty much under control. It was a bad cut, no question it was a bad cut, but I brought him up because Lennox landed, if you remember, in that uh, in that sixth round, uh, Lennox landed that huge uppercut right, uh, right. that would have probably knocked out 99.9% of the people. <laughs> Uh, or boxers uh, almost lifted uh, Vitaly off the off the canvas uh, with that huge uppercut, and um, you know Vitaly uh, took a step back and then just kept coming forward. And I think Lennox was mentally done after that. If he landed his best punch that he could land on Vitaly and couldn't uh, couldn't uh, stop him, couldn't even rock him, and uh, knowing he couldn't hurt him at that point with his best punch, I think that really deflated. Uh, Lennox uh, in that sixth round, and uh, uh, Vitaly just kept coming forward. But with that punch, with the uppercut, it cut his it cut his tongue, and so a lot of blood was coming from his mouth. Mm. Well, so the so the referee brought the doctor in to look at the at the mouth because that was a new cut, uh, and then the doctor stopped it because of the uh, because of the eye when uh, it it really you know like I said it was there was no question it was a bad cut. There's no question, you know, nobody can argue with the doctor's uh, decision. It just, I think if he would have given him, you know, in that situation, when you're fighting for the heavyweight championship world, you're winning the fight. <laughs> if you give him, right. you know, that you, you know, a lot of times doctors famously say, okay, you have one more round, one more and round right. to stop the fight type of thing. And uh, if he would have given him one more round, I think Vitaly uh, could have stopped Lennox uh, at that point because you saw how exhausted Lennox was. I remember that was... You know, going into that one more round thing, I remember when Kevin Kelly fought Derek Gaynor down in Florida. It was on one of Roy Jones' shows where that was the co-feature and Roy Jones was the main event. And uh, Kevin uh, had that swollen eye. It was completely swollen shut. And uh, the doctor said, uh, you know, I'll give you one more round, then i got to stop it. And uh, sure enough, in that round, Kevin was able to 
to knock out Derek Gaynor with one punch. Uh, probably the, you know one of the one of the uh, one of the most spectacular uh, comebacks or knockouts that I've ever seen. Uh, uh, especially in, in that lighter division and that featherweight division was a tremendous performance by Kevin. That was another. That, that was, was another war. I think it was like three or four knockdowns before that final knockout. That yeah. was another like amazing fight. Smoke. Yeah, I, I, I represented Smoke for a little while. I didn't have him then okay. though. But yeah, he, he he. That's definitely one of those fights where he's mad that it got away. <laughs> yeah, I remember in that last round thinking to myself why did we come here to florida to fight this guy <laughs> you know because kevin was kevin was uh, you know he was there probably the best known uh, american featherweight at the time or you know one of the, the top featherweights and uh like why did we come down to florida to fight a smoke gainer and then all of a sudden he landed that punch and sure enough it just was wow what a what a turn of events and uh, that was one of those punches that uh uh, Smoke Gainer wasn't getting up from, and uh, oh, absolutely, really got to give uh, Kevin a lot of credit for uh, for that. But that was exactly uh, to my point that you know if the referee would have given Vitaly one more round, I think uh, he could have uh, he could have won that fight. Naturally, Lennox will you know I've talked to him many times, and I'm friendly with Lennox, and he'll you know try to convince you that uh, you know he was going to win that fight regardless. But uh, I really uh, you know I really think that. Uh, Based on their conditioning and and uh, how you know Lennox uh, put it this way, uh, Vitaly was in the worst shape for sure with his face being cut uh, from a physical standpoint. From, from a conditioning standpoint, you know, nothing was going to stop Vitaly at that point. He was actually you know the referee stopped it. He like stormed across the ring and it's like you know I mean, you could tell he was like fresh, still fresh, and wanted to fight. And Lennox was <laughs> I think he was the happiest one in the arena that they <laughs> that they stopped that fight. But um, you know that's. Uh, that that's how those uh, events uh, unfold in uh, both of those fights, both the Kevin Kelly, Derek Gaynor fight and the Lennox Lewis, uh, Vitaly Klitschko fight were uh, some of the most memorable fights, uh, uh, you know, not only in history, but, uh, you know, that, I, that I've been involved in. It's, uh, those, those, are, those were some great fights. But then after that, after the Lennox Lewis fight in 2003, then uh, that's when we, we had started uh, K2. Uh, we didn't promote. That was uh, still a Gary Shaw fight, but uh, or promotion. And uh, but then the next uh, after Lennox uh, didn't want to give Vitelli the rematch and decided. Hold on, maybe that was that was main events with with Gary Shaw, right? I don't want to get Kathy mad at us. <laughs> uh, that, that could have been. Yeah, I just remember Gary being at the press conference. So yeah, probably was uh, main events. Uh, <laughs> During when they had yeah. Gary is uh, was working with them, yeah. Don't want to, don't want to get Could Kathy. have been, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I have a, I have a good relationship with, with Kathy. I just, like I said, I remember uh, Gary being, uh, uh, being there at the press conference. But uh, uh, Lennox didn't want to do the rematch, and then uh, after a year, he had like one year uh, before he had to uh, give up the title. You know, if he wasn't going to defend it, and sure enough, like I think in the last day <laughs> or two days before he. He told the WBC he wasn't going to defend it. He was going to retire. And then that's when uh, Vitaly fought Corey Sanders for the vacant WBC title, if you remember that. There was a lot Absolutely. of history there because Sanders had, uh, you know, shocked Vladimir. It was mm-hmm. a huge upset. Vladimir was one of the most dominant uh, guys, just knocking everyone out. Uh, and uh, Corey Sanders uh, pulled a huge upset, uh, was able to stop him in the second round. And, uh, Vitelli got the re- the revenge uh, for revenge his brother. of the brother. Yes, yeah, <laughs> wound up uh, wound up beating uh, Corey Sanders, who unfortunately is no longer with us. Right. You know, Corey was one of the most uh, one of the nicest guys uh, you could meet. Very uh, true gentleman, 
and and unfortunately uh, uh, got killed down in in South Africa. Uh, right. And uh, but uh, yeah, that's how Vitaly won that WBC title and uh, went on to his his uh, WBC World Championship reign. And well, that, was that was that the first official promotion of K two? Um, that was the very first uh, K two promotion. That's right, okay. two thousand four at Staples Center. So you think of. You know, Kurt, you know a lot of promoters, and a lot of promoters will start, you know, with club shows, and they build their way up, <laughs> right. and they start doing uh, mid-level TV fights, and then they start doing, uh, you know, the big arena fights, and, and we, our very first promotion, and the only way I, I could have pulled this off was, you know, through all the years dealing uh, with the different fighters on the management level, and having the relationship with HBO that we had, uh, you know, from uh, the Kevin Kelly days, and the Obacar, and Shane Mosley, and and uh, even uh, Lennox Lewis and Vitaly was on HBO, so I knew all the all the people at HBO. We had a good relationship with uh, the people at Staples Center. Um, and uh, uh, but to do the first promotion as the heavyweight championship of the world on international TV uh, for the WBC championship of the world at Staples Center, you know, it was a, it was a brand new arena at that time. Uh, I mean, that was, uh, I literally lost my voice uh, the <laughs> night of the fight, you know, leading up, you know, after the press conference and doing all the interviews at the, at the weigh-in. And uh, uh, it was, it was a tremendous feeling having pulled that off, uh, dealing with the uh, California Athletic Commission at the time. Um, you know, that was, uh, that was a real feather in our cap to, to be successful uh, under such a big event. And uh, yeah, I was I was happy that that came off uh, that that came off because if it didn't come off the right way, that could have been the last promotion. promotion. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's it's interesting because uh, you know you have a lot you know that there have been a lot of uh, promotional companies kind of formed in the name of fighters over the years, and 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 some of them have been you know more successful than others. I mean, obviously, Golden Boy is probably the the most successful, but Mayweather Promotions is still there. Roy Jones still doing his thing, and Salida Promotions. Yeah. But you've had Tyson, Mike Tyson, and Sugar Ray Leonard, and I think Evander Holyfield's uh, company is kind of gone under. So, um, you know, with K two, you know, it's, it's, it's tremendous longevity. I mean, I think there still is K two. Is K two still going in the Ukraine? Or yeah, or, yeah, K two uh, Ukraine. They have uh, Alexander Usyk uh, under contract, right. and. Uh, you know, uh, Alexander Krausiuk, uh, he's got some uh, good fighters coming up uh, there in Ukraine uh, on their local shows over there. So, yeah, that, that's still, they're still doing shows. And, and uh, the company that I started over here uh, with the brothers, uh, uh, you know, we promoted that fight in 2004. And then we wound up promoting every, uh, every other Klitschko fight uh, after that. Um, as K2 Promotions, and they, they had their management company, uh, KMG, over in Germany, which did a lot of the logistics and, and negotiating with German TV and the, and the arenas. But, uh, you know, K2 had a very a very long run, and, you know, I can, you know, only attribute that. You know, we did uh, things successfully on the promotional side and the organizational side, but, you know, when you have uh, two athletes like Vladimir and Vitaly, uh, you know, with Vladimir having such a long run, championship run, you know, over 10 years and, you know, really uh, putting his career back together with uh, Emmanuel Stewart after the after the Brewster fight, you know, that was the third time that he had gotten stopped and so people really wrote him off after that, you know, right. just, uh, and Emmanuel was a magician in terms of just being able to rebuild his confidence, 
rebuild, uh, just uh, kind of rework his style. And, uh, you know, to go from being stopped three times in your career to, to one of the, the longest heavyweight championship runs and most dominant uh, championship runs in the heavyweight division, you know, Vladimir, it was, it was tremendous, you know. And then, you know, fighting not only in at Staples Center here in L.A. and Madison Square Garden uh, up in Las Vegas and then, uh, you know, going into the, the biggest uh, stadiums uh, throughout Germany, uh, the soccer stadiums, uh, literally the arenas couldn't hold the, the Klitschko fights anymore, so we had to go to the soccer stadiums. Um, you know, he fought, Vladimir fought Povetkin in, in Moscow. Remember that purse bid? Uh, <laughs> was, I think it was like $23 million. Yeah, it was insane. I remember, yeah. I remember being in Panama for that WBA purse bid, and, uh, you know, when uh, when they when they presented that bid at $23 million, you know, those were before the days of these numbers of the zone sure. and things like that you know that's uh those were some serious numbers back then <laughs> and uh yeah, yeah vladimir fighting in moscow vitaly fought in moscow vitaly fought uh, adamek in poland in the brand new soccer stadium over there in uh, Fortslev, um that they had built for the euro uh at that time um and uh uh yeah, it's uh, that was a, it was a great run with uh, K2 and uh, both uh, the Klitschko brothers. I remember uh, Vitaly one time after he got injured, uh, he was supposed to fight Hasim Rahman, and that fight never came off uh, because of his injury to his knee. I mean, Vitaly had a knee injury; his back was bothering him, his shoulder was bothering him. I mean, he he really he was one of the uh, what should I say? Uh, most impressive guys I've been around in terms of just not being afraid of anything, you know, just wanting to fight, you know, just being a warrior in the ring. He told me one time, because both Vladimir and Vitaly grew up on military bases, you know, their father was in the uh, Soviet uh, military, and uh, Vladimir, coincidentally, was born in Kazakhstan, similar to uh, Triple G, but he was right. born on a military base, but uh, their father kind of moved around quite a bit. And Vitaly told me a story once, uh, you know, about, uh, you know, him not being afraid of anyone in the ring because he said like when he was you know whenever they went to a new military base a lot of times the uh, older kids would uh, kind of challenge him and you know Vitaly was one of the bigger kids you know because of his height uh, especially for his age but uh, you know there would be like one time he said he was got cornered, kind of cornered by like 20 20 uh, kids and, and he had to like fight his way out of that and so he's like Tom oh, there's only one guy if there's only one guy standing across the ring from me I don't care who it is I'm not I'm not afraid to fight him so <laughs> you know, I think it was like when when it was like the Lennox Lewis fight when they literally had after um, Kirk Johnson got injured, I think they literally had three weeks to decide if they were going to fight each other or if HBO was going to scrap the date uh, and just cancel it. And Lennox didn't want to lose the date, and Vitaly naturally wanted to fight, so Vitaly accepted, and then Lennox accepted, and and that fight went from I think it went from a pay per view to to a regular HBO fight and uh, so the HBO customers back then got treated to one of the best heavyweight fights of all time which would have clearly been a, a pay-per-view fight you know after that but uh, because Vitaly wasn't that well known over here in the States uh, it went on HBO and uh, uh, yeah that uh, that was a interesting story where uh, I don't think Vitaly you know now he's the mayor of Kiev and I don't think he's afraid of anything you know really uh, he, he he earned uh uh, you know, he, uh, he has so much money in his career that he doesn't have to work anymore. And for him to to go into politics, especially in a in a 
city like uh, Kiev in Ukraine, where there's so much, to, you know, there was so much unrest and you know everything going on with the revolution, and you saw that uh, the one famous photo where Vitaly's in the crowd of people, like, and you know, he's standing above the crowd because he's so tall, and then someone sprayed him with a fire extinguisher, so like he's all white, and it's just, uh, yeah, he's a really impressive guy. Uh, uh, Vitaly to do what what he's doing and, and Vladimir, you know, just uh, being able to rebuild his career and you know again uh, selling out uh, those those big uh, stadiums, uh, you know, and uh, that that fight with Anthony Joshua, you know, his last fight at Wembley Stadium, selling out, breaking the record there, ninety thousand people against Joshua, and I think Vladimir gained more fans in that that one fight with Joshua, even though he lost the fight. I think he gained more fans and more respect. Then a lot of the wins that he had just because, you know, he was able to, he, he was out of the ring for two years after the Fury fight and and uh, to come in there and fight Joshua on his home home uh, turf like that and knock him down, uh, you know, that was a really dramatic fight there at Wembley Stadium. So, uh, you know, Vladimir had a, a tremendous career uh, uh, as well. And, and um, one of the fights with Vitaly that stood out, this was what I was actually getting at, was... Uh, when when he reti- had to retire because of his uh, injuries, um, he was uh, actually out of the ring uh, for just uh, just uh, about four years, just under four years, uh, no fights. Actually, you know, nobody thought he would fight again because he had so many injuries. He had back surgery, he had knee surgery. Like I said, he had this the uh, this the shoulder injury where he uh, lost the fight against Chris Bird, where he's winning the fight, but then he right the rotator uh, cuff, yeah. The rotator cuff, and he said that was so painful. I think it happened in the second round. He said it was so painful that he couldn't, uh, like, he said, like, uh, Chris wasn't hurting him with the punches, but, like, every time he lifted his arm, is like, he had these white flashes of light in his eyes, and oh, wow. the pain was so much. Hmm. And uh, he really got, I think he got, uh, got, uh, unfairly criticized uh, for that uh, because uh, people said he quit and he doesn't have any heart and and that's why you know with the Lennox Lewis fight when he wanted to keep fighting with the eye uh, and the, the the bad cuts like that 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 really uh, proved uh, Vitaly's heart uh, to a lot of the boxing fans that weren't that familiar with his career and then being able to, after four years out of the ring where everyone was convinced he wouldn't fight again to be able to come back right away if you remember Sam Peter uh, got that title uh, as a WBC champion, and to come back, and instead of any tune-up fights, and you know a lot of fighters these days like, oh, I don't, I haven't fought for a year. I need like two or three tune-up fights just to get back in the ring. And Vitaly had no tune-up fights. He fought Sam Peter, the current champion, at that time, and wound up stopping Peter in I think it was like eight rounds. That was a very impressive uh, performance, and then defended the title a few more times. And so uh, working with the Klitschko brothers really was an exciting time and uh you know k2 did the most uh, heavyweight championship fights of any promotional company uh in this uh you know in this uh, uh century you know since the year uh, 2000 so it uh, that's a uh, that was an impressive run that uh, that they had uh, had gone on and uh, you know that's how we signed uh, triple g was uh the success that we had with the Klitschko's, uh, he he was struggling with the same promotional company that, uh, or the same German promoter that uh, the brothers had in in, in Germany, and uh, he wasn't happy, and he wanted the Felix Sturm fight, and uh, that promoter was uh, kind of protecting Sturm, protecting uh, Sebastian Zubik uh, back then, uh, who were you could say like more 
more marketable uh, fighters in Germany than uh, Triple G was. And I, I guess we'll say it's, it's Klaus Peter Kohl's Universum was the promoter in, in Germany that uh, that had the Klitschko's and Triple G. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, uh, yeah, Universum had signed uh, uh, the Klitschko's after uh, you know Vladimir had won that gold medal in '96 and and did a you know great job developing them. Um, you know, as champions, um, and uh, but you know, at at that time in 2004, they just wanted to uh, uh, kind of you know do their own thing, take control of their careers. Also, you know, have uh, sponsorships, and you know, those, those uh, some of those uh, German or I could say promotional contracts are, were pretty restrictive at the time. So um, they just wanted to have uh, control of their career, and that's why they started a K2 and. Uh, you know, Triple G had also signed with Universum, who was promoting Felix Sturm at the time, and like I said, Sebastian Spick, and you know, they saw they they would spar with each other occasionally, and they kind of saw the results of the sparring, and that's why they never wanted to put <laughs> Triple G in there uh, with those guys, and so he got frustrated, and so he wanted to get out of his contract, and uh, he was able to get out of uh, get out of the contract, and uh, that's when uh, once he was free and clear, and they got the court order. Uh, that uh, the contract was no longer in force, that, uh, that's when we signed them to uh, K2 promotions. And then, uh, as I had mentioned earlier in the, in the conversation, um, you know, met up with uh, Peter Nelson, and Peter really was the one that uh, pushed Triple G to get on uh, uh, HBO. And, and as soon as that slot opened up with uh, P-ROG, uh, he made sure, uh, Peter Nelson made sure that uh, Triple G got that slot. And, uh, and there was no looking back uh, from there. You know, Peter Nelson was responsible for uh, really supporting uh, Triple G uh, when uh, he wasn't a household name. Really, in, uh, you know, a lot of people didn't even know where Kazakhstan was over here in the United States. Right, alone, right. Uh, who Gennady Golovkin was. So that was uh, you got to give him credit for having the foresight uh, because you know the Klitschkos, I would say, were the first. You know. Uh, Russian-speaking or former Soviet Union uh, uh, fighters over here in the United States that became popular. Uh, naturally, it was a little bit different uh, as heavyweight champions. You know, you had Zhirov and some uh, some other guys, but you know, never on that level of the Klitschkos. And then with Triple G, uh, you know, everyone at that time they wanted to sign fighters from Mexico or fighters from Puerto Rico. You know, with the success that uh, Cotto had and Felix Trinidad, naturally, and you know. Uh, uh, Eastern European fighters weren't very popular uh, at that time here in the States, especially someone from Kazakhstan. Uh, so it was really uh, an uphill battle uh, trying to sell Triple G. And, and uh, you know, between his knockouts in the ring and our promotional efforts outside the ring, uh, it was a great, great combination getting him to to the level that he is uh, right now. So that was, uh, you know, I got to credit Peter Nelson for for the foresight with uh, Triple G giving him the uh, opportunity and also seeing another perfect example is with Chocotito. Uh, right. you know, when we were looking for who could we pair up on the Triple G shows and uh, Chocotito was a tremendous fighter, world champion, um, in multi-division world champion, uh, but without the TV exposure, a lot of, a lot of uh, boxing fans didn't know who he was. You know, outside of the hardcore boxing fans, and then as soon as we put them on the Triple G shows uh, together, it was like a perfect compliment where uh, Chocotito complimented uh, Triple G and vice versa. You know, Chocotito benefited from fighting at Madison Square Garden on the big shows or fighting here in in L.A. 
at the forum on the big uh, on the big show. So it was a tremendous uh, it was a tremendous combination. Um, and uh, and Peter also was the one that uh, you know I mentioned before about Kevin Kelly being the first featherweight on HBO. Uh, you know, Chocotito was probably the first flyweight ever on, uh, uh, well, besides, no, let me take that back. Uh, Carbajal. They had that great, <laughs> yeah, that great fight at the forum here, uh, Michael Carbajal and Chiquita Gonzalez. Right, it was a right. tremendous, uh, tremendous show, a tremendous fight. But, um, you know, Chocotito uh, really uh, was a uh, staple on HBO and, uh, you know, return appearances and, yeah, then he then he was headlining his own shows. That's when we started the Superfly series. Right. So it was uh, it was a, it was a good times uh, for Chocolatito uh, as well. Absolutely. I, I want to go back to uh, to to Triple G and and Pirog. To me, that's kind of like the lost like great fight because Pirog. Um, I don't know if people even remember much about him, but had a really awkward, like kind of, you know, like a, a style out of the Matrix. I mean, he would like switch positions, you know, like, like uh, you know, just stepping to a guy. He'd go from ready to lefty to ready to lefty. Um, really, really good fighter. I mean, he, he handled Daniel Jacobs better than anyone has ever handled Daniel Jacobs. And I always think that that fight was just like just a missed classic because that, you know, that was a, a much younger, uh, Gennady Golovkin too. That was like a prime, prime Gennady Golovkin. Um, and an undefeated Pirog. I just think, ah, that fight would have been so good. <laughs> really. Well, you're right. You, you definitely recognize that. And a lot of people, you know, will forget about it. And a lot of the critics of uh, triple G who say, never fight anybody. Say, <laughs> yeah. yeah right. That he hasn't, again, I, I, I chalked that up to the uninformed fans and, <laughs> you know, critics that uh, don't know everything that we went through to try to get the champions to unify with them. I thought, Honestly, Kurt, I thought if anyone was going to unify the titles, I mean, with the Klitschko's, it was different because Vladimir had all the titles and Vitaly had the WBC title. Vladimir had all the titles except for the WBC title and uh, Vitaly had the WBC title. They would never fight each other. They made that promise to their mother. Of course, yeah. They would, they would never fight each other. So, um, you know, it was, it was virtually impossible for Vladimir to unify when Vitaly was fighting. And, uh, with uh, Triple G, you know, I thought if anyone was going to unify all the titles, he wanted to to get all the belts. He wanted to prove himself against the other champions. He wanted to fight the best guys out there. And uh, you know, here's a guy with the backing of HBO. He had multiple titles, and uh, for these other champions, just to avoid them as 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 much as they did, and we were making huge offers uh, to them. You know, their career highest paydays, and they still turned down. Uh, the fights. I've never had that before where you had a multiple. I've had it where you know you have a mandatory challenger or you have someone coming up and the champion didn't want to fight him but when you have a unification fight like that for them to not even negotiate or not even to engage in negotiations right. to fight Triple G was so bizarre uh, to me uh, when he actually had more titles you know the first champion that agreed to fight him so you got to give him credit was uh, David Lemieux. Right. Uh, Triple G had the WBA championship and David Lemieux had the IBF championship. I think a lot of it had to do with uh, Lemieux had a he just won the title and he had a mandatory coming up. And uh so the choice was either to fight the mandatory or to fight a unification fight right. with Triple G. So naturally he got a lot more money to fight uh, Triple G. Uh so he he chose that and uh that was the first champion uh to step up and and give a uh Gennady uh uh, a shot at unifying the title, and, and we saw what happened in that fight where he uh, dominated, you know, a big puncher like uh, Lemieux. Absolutely. And, uh, 
wound up stopping them. And uh, well, if you do remember, though, Tom, I sent out a, a text message to you as soon as Sam Solomon won the title that we should make that fight. <laughs> yeah, that was uh, <laughs> unfortunately right. for you. That's that's when uh, Al Heyman also showed up with the big, uh, you know. Uh, uh, hedge fund money and uh, was able to right. outbid HBO uh, to get Sam to fight his guys but but yeah Sam right. was willing to take the fight um, but yeah we uh, you know even HBO couldn't match uh, Al Heyman money at the time so we ended up uh, going in that direction yeah no you're right uh, and, and uh, <laughs> I have to give I have to give you credit and give Sam credit that uh, Sam would have fought uh, Triple G and that would have been a great you know great uh, unification fight uh, that was before Lemieux right. that was before right. Lemieux had the title uh, that was the, the succession of uh, Daniel Gill went there, uh, beat Sturm, uh, had both uh, titles, and then he inherited Sturm's mandatory for the WBA. And then because Gill had the IBF and the WBA titles, uh, he decided he would keep the IBF title and vacate the WBA title. So then, uh, you know, even uh, we couldn't get Daniel Gill right. to fight him at the time. We did get him to fight once he didn't have the titles. Uh, Daniel agreed to fight uh, Triple G, but uh, not as as a champion. So Lemieux was the first one to absolutely to ever step up. You know, we wanted to unify back then when Peter Quillen had the WBO title, and we could never do that because uh, Quillen was fighting on Showtime and Triple G, you know, was fighting on HBO, and we could never make that fight. And uh, you know, then uh, when uh, Triple G became mandatory for the WBC. And uh, we're trying to get the Sergio Martinez fight. You you might uh, know better than most uh, dealing with Lou out there, but Lou didn't want to put Sergio. You got we got a lot of respect <laughs> for Sergio, but Lou didn't want to put Sergio anywhere near Triple G at the time, and uh, chose the uh, Cotto fight, which then Cotto won. And then you know we were supposed to fight Cotto, and then uh, you know they wanted to make Cotto Canelo, and then so we said, okay, you can make the Canelo fight, and then uh, you know Triple G you know needs to be guaranteed the winner of Cotto Canelo. And then it just went through that whole, you know, succession of um, Canelo was supposed to, you know, Canelo beat Cotto, he was supposed to beat him, and then Canelo uh, wanted to have one voluntary title defense, which we allowed, then with like a guarantee that uh, he either had to fight him or lose the title, and then, so he fought uh, Khan, and then chose not to fight Triple G after uh, afterwards, you know, going back down to, to junior middleweight, where now he's fighting. He was telling everyone that he's not a middleweight. <laughs> he was going to fight at junior middleweight. Sounds silly now when you think about it, but he was convinced, trying to convince everyone he wasn't a middleweight. He couldn't fight Triple G because <laughs> he wasn't a middleweight. He, he, like, starved himself to go back down to 154 for one fight. And then he, in the next fight, he fought uh, Chavez at one sixty four, and now he's fighting Kovalev at one seventy five. Yeah, it's an interesting, uh, interesting scenario. Yeah, you even you even left out the uh, the part where uh, Felix Sturm. Uh, well, I mean, at least according to one promoter in 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 in, in Europe, uh, owner uh, who says basically they wrote a check to the WBA to make. Uh, Sturm the super champion, so he wouldn't have to fight Golovkin. I mean, it got to the point where uh, you know people were uh, sending money to the sanctioning bodies to avoid Golovkin. I mean, it's 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 unbelievable. Uh, you know the, the the links to which uh, you know top middleweights, to which he was to which he was avoided. Yeah, yeah, and, uh, yeah. 
yeah, he did get. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know any of those details. I, I read those same stories. <laughs> I'm just you, going by what I've been told. Read. I don't know. I don't know either. Yeah. I wasn't there, but that's, no, that's what I, owners say. I, I, I read those same <laughs> stories, but I can say that somehow Sturm got an inordinate amount of voluntary defenses without having to fight his mandatory. So and became uh, super champ without unifying the, the titles. <laughs> right. Right. Yep. Well, that's true, but you, you, you know, go, going back to your point about the Pirog fight, you're absolutely right. That would have been a tremendous fight in, in the height of Triple G's uh, career. I remember, you know, here's, here's the proof when, when, you know, any of the critics that say uh, Triple G hasn't fought anyone. Triple G was knocking guys out who had never been knocked out ever in their career, whether it was Luan Simon, who might not have been, you know, a world champion or a top world-class fighter at the time, but Luan Simon had never been knocked out. And, uh, you know, he fought guys like Arthur Abraham, and uh, I think he fought Pirog in Russia, and, you know, never had gotten stopped before, and Gennady wound up stopping him in the first round. With one shot, yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah. That was yeah. one of his, that was one of his highlight, that was before he got on HBO, that right. was one of his highlight uh, knockouts. In fact, that was that was a bizarre situation. I can tell you about that, Kurt. That you know, he was supposed to be when when we first start, started talking to him with to be with uh, K two. He was supposed to be the co-feature uh, in a uh, soccer stadium uh, venue where Vladimir was naturally going to headline the show in the soccer stadium. It was sold out already, and I remember it was in Dusseldorf. And uh, Gennady was going to be on the co-feature to give him some uh, exposure. And um, you know, publicity being on, uh, on on such a big show, and uh, Vladimir had gotten some uh, kidney stones, which are you know super painful. I think he just got them like right after the training camp. On uh, he broke camp uh, mm. on Sunday, and then I remember having a press conference Monday morning where you know Vladimir just uh, was in pain from those kidney stones, and they had to camp the fight. So we went from fighting. Uh, in a 50,000-seat soccer stadium to literally uh, a 250-seat uh, ballroom in the in the host hotel where we were staying at. <laughs> I remember oh, that. Man. It was like uh, wow. uh, level below ground. All, uh, it was like you had the lobby <laughs> level, and then you had below ground. You had the, I think it was the Intercontinental uh, Hotel there in Dusseldorf. I remember that. And, uh, yeah, literally uh, he fought in front of about 200 people. Uh, even though he was a world champion, uh, you know he wasn't really promoted that well by Universum as far as you know uh, popularity was concerned. So um, he had about you know uh, literally about 200 people there in attendance in the ballroom, and that's when he he stopped uh, Luan Simon uh, in that impressive fashion. And so you know whether it was Simon, whether it was. Uh, um, a uh, num- number of guys that, uh, like I said, had never been stopped before. Uh, Martin Murray, I think, was the first time he ever got stopped. When, yeah, uh, absolutely. When uh, Gennady stopped him. Uh, I don't think Gil- Daniel Giel had ever been stopped before, and, and right. he had stopped him. Matthew Macklin, he had that body shot. I don't know if Matthew had been stopped once before or not, but you know, Gennady sh- stopped him with that massive uh, body shot. Uh, where Macklin, actually, if you remember when he fought Sergio Martinez at uh at the uh, theater in uh, New York, uh, he actually uh, dropped Sergio once, and then Sergio came back and and beat him. He might have actually Sergio might have stopped him or won the decision. So Sergio might have stopped him at that time. But the way uh, Triple G took him out, uh, you know, Matthew's a warrior, and for him to get stopped like that in the body shot, um, I had heard he had a couple broken ribs uh, after mm. that fight. So 
that was uh, an impressive stoppage. So you, you, know, you don't have to, the, the fans, the Fairweather fans shouldn't focus on the names, but just the way he was uh, beating these guys. Uh, even the Japanese fighter uh, that he fought, I forgot his name now, that, um, remember, he beat, uh, he beat Kirkland. It was, that was an emotional win for him after the Japanese uh, tsunami. Right. Uh, and he wound up beating Kirkland in, in Las Vegas. And uh, and then we got him to fight Triple G over in uh, Monte Carlo. You know, the budget wasn't that big over there in Monte Carlo because we didn't have the HBO money. So uh, we got him to, to go over there, and, and he had never been stopped before. And uh, Triple G actually wound up knocking him halfway through the ropes. That was a classic knockout where... That was Ishida, right? Out. It was uh, Nobuhiro yeah, Ishida. That's right, Ishida. And uh, and he was like hanging halfway out. Yeah, that's a brutal uh, knockout. <laughs> the ropes. And so, you know, going to those, the guys like that, that uh, uh, had never been knocked out before, uh, to, to knock him out in, in such impressive fashion, that, that's, that's a huge, uh, that's a huge uh, statement. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, the Pirog fight would have definitely been, uh, like you said, a lot of people forgot about that. But uh, Daniel, Daniel Jacobs was uh, uh, the favorite in that fight. And Big a lot time, of people yeah. Didn't know, didn't know uh, who Pirog was. And here he comes out of nowhere, knocks out uh, Daniel Jacobs, and then nobody wanted to fight him. And, and that would have been a huge fight. The, the guy that knocked out Jacobs against Triple G. Uh, would have been a tremendous fight uh, on HBO. Both guys in their prime, uh, and then you know, unfortunately, like I said, Pirog uh, got injured with his back and then never never fought again. But you know, those are the type of guys that Triple G was willing to fight just to prove that he was the best, and uh, right. he knew the only way to prove that was, was to, to to fight the best. And uh, to Pirog's credit, Pirog would have fought him, but uh, got injured and then uh, and then just never never fought again. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let me uh, let me talk a little bit about a 360 promotions. Just your your kind of philosophy in in, in promoting boxing. I mean, I know when you started it, uh, you know, you weren't interested in in working with like you know side in fifty fighters, and and I know from pitching <laughs> pitching fighters to you, you you're more interested in you know maybe having a couple of you know great fighters as opposed to uh, a bunch of just like good fighters, but. Um, just kind of explain like your your philosophy and and, and your strategy uh, uh, in terms of promotion and, and signing fighters and, and and how you you know uh, have your strategy for each fighter. Well, my strategy is you know I always try to have a plan for for the fighters that uh, we sign. You know, naturally for the Klitschko's, uh, you know, the plan was. Uh, um, you know, they already had TV deals in place, or you know, we were about to have a TV deal in place, and you know that type of thing. With, with Triple G, uh, the plan was just to get some TV exposure. It didn't matter what it was or who we fought or that type of thing. But uh, try not to sign too many fighters. Uh, a lot of a lot of uh, promotional companies or promoters, you know, have a, a huge roster, but then they can't keep their guys busy or their fighters busy. I don't want to discount the female fighters because I've also, you know, worked with a number of uh, female uh, boxers. I've been a big proponent and advocate for. Uh, female boxing uh, I think with the right exposure I think the female boxers are just as exciting as uh, the men uh, fighters uh, we, we did two fights with Layla Ali one was uh, on Vladimir Klitschko's show in Madison Square Garden uh, I think when he fought Calvin Brock uh, and you know I strangely uh, 
uh, you know, the most uh, famous fighter in the world was there, uh, not to see Vladimir, but to see his daughter fight when Muhammad came to Madison Square Garden to see Layla fight, and HBO wouldn't show wouldn't show her fight. Uh, they just never had shown a female fight in in their entire history, for whatever reason, and. Uh, uh, so we did that fight with uh, Leila Ali, and then also when. Well, hold on. That that, that 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 night was amazing because I mean I, I was there, and I remember when when Ali came in, like the crowd just spontaneously started chanting Ali, Ali, Ali. I mean it was amazing, absolutely yeah. amazing. Um, that yeah, that goes back to. Yeah, that goes back to what I was saying. You know, just entering the arena without saying anything, and then just right. capturing the whole audience. And that was—I remember—we had to get a, a special uh, a golf cart from Madison Square Garden to uh, to bring him into the arena. Um, and then, you know, he got out of the golf cart. He walked over to his seat and uh, sat down. And uh, yeah, that was an electric uh, moment, also with the crowd. Uh, you know, crowd at Madison Square Garden. You know, him returning to the the you know, arguably one of the most famous fights in the world, Ollie Frazier won, you know, at Madison Square Garden, and him mm-hmm. returning to the Garden was, uh, yeah, was really uh, one of those moments that you get goosebumps that, you know, you see, Absolutely. Uh, you see him back, back there to support his, support his daughter and uh, to support Layla. And then uh, we also did when Mohammed was getting uh, an award in Berlin, Germany, uh, a humanitarian award uh, at a big award show, uh, there was a uh, event, a Sauerland event in Berlin, um, and uh, I've gotten Layla on that on that show. I think Value of was fighting, uh, maybe Value of Ruiz or Value of was fighting on that show as the main event, and Layla was also on that show. So we did two fights with Layla Ali, and she's she's a tremendous fighter. I mean, she really grew into her own. You know, she got criticized uh, a little bit in the beginning because she's only fighting because her last year uh, last name, but. You know, Layla really worked hard and and developed her skills, and I would say that she was really a dominant fighter uh, when she was fighting at the height of her, her career. She really uh, was powerful uh, um, with some of her knockouts and things like that. You had the you know when she fought Jackie Frazier, that was kind of a classic fight for Layla. But uh, yeah, it was exciting working with. Uh, with Muhammad first, and then working with uh, Layla, and then you know Harlan was there, and Damon Bingham, who was Ali's uh, godson, you know he was always around when uh, Layla was fighting, and you know Dustin Bingham uh, still comes to the Hollywood shows, so we still have a, a close relationship with the uh, with the Bingham family. Unfortunately, uh, you know Howard Bingham, he was he was uh, Ali's best friend, and, and the famous photographer took so many photos. You know Howard had passed away. Uh, and, uh, and Damon, unfortunately, had passed away. But uh, Dustin still comes, still comes to the shows, the Hollywood shows. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's uh, it was you know with Layla, I was, I was going down the route of the female boxing. So Layla, we did uh, two fights. Uh, I helped her with two fights, and then uh, well, Layla too. I mean, you know, her, her impact. I mean, it, you know, I mean, people. I, I, People have not forgotten her. I mean, she's such a strong persona. But what I was impressed with is I remember seeing one of the top, um, just a few of the top, uh, like, female basketball players, like, they asked who their role model was. And they're just like, Layla, Layla Ali, just because she she handled her business. You know, she was a dominant boxing champion, but also just, you know, 
cleaned up really well too. You know, she was like, you know, yeah. a really, you know, she's gorgeous and, and, and has such a strong personality and, you know, it's just like, you know, very, very forceful. And, you know, she was, and it served as an inspiration to uh, a lot of uh, female athletes, you know. Uh, there's there's no question that, that she opened the door uh, not only because of her boxing skills and her dominance in the ring, but also her marketability and her personality, uh, you know, outside of the ring. Uh, certainly one of the most marketable uh, female athletes uh, of all time. And, uh, you know, she has her own TV shows now, and she's really branched out on the entertainment side. But, you know, uh, with, uh, you know, the boxing kind of launching her public persona and then her really capitalizing on her success in the ring and her popularity it really uh yeah she she uh she was definitely a role model i remember that uh, remember those uh, days also she was a role model inspiring female athletes uh to get into the sports and and really become you know being able to to be a successful uh female athlete uh you know to sell out arenas and and to really earn uh uh, you know, also financially to be compensated, where you can uh, make a living, a living based uh, strictly on, on, uh, on the sports career. Right. I mean, you know, she wasn't the only uh, female fighter you represented. I mean, like I, I think we were talking about this the other night. Uh, my my first contact with you was because you were representing uh, Lucia Riker, who many consider the best female fighter of all time. And, uh, you know, I had uh, Melissa Salamone or, you know, Lou Del Val's sister who was undefeated uh, when I was representing her. And I, I called you about uh, making a fight with Riker. You were all for it. And I said, yeah, let's get it on HBO. And you were like, uh, <laughs> you can try. You can try. Go ahead. Talk to Carrie. He's like, but they don't do female fights. And I thought you were crazy that that, that they didn't do female fights. But sure enough, I pitched it to Carrie. And, yeah, he's like, yeah, we, you know. There's not enough depth, you know, there's there's no narrative, you know, of course, you know, there was Christy Martin out there, there was a ton of fights for Lucia and, and Melissa, whoever won, but, but uh, yeah, like you said, Layla got shut out of HBO, Lucia Riker got shut out of HBO, and, you know, just, uh, you know, you people aren't going to know about it unless they see it, so... Uh, yeah, it's it's you know it's 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 a real shame that uh, that the female boxing really hasn't been featured as much as it could have been. Yeah, I mean, uh, you look at the UFC. And Dana White famously said uh, he would never do a, a female UFC fight, and uh, and Ronda Rousey became their most popular champion. Absolutely, uh, at, at that time in the peak of her her career. So, I really think if you just give uh, the female boxers. The exposure and the opportunity and the platform, you know, to develop uh, their careers and to develop opponents, uh, you know, then I, I really think you can, uh, you know, br bring that sport up uh, or that part of the sport up uh, for female boxers uh, as well. I mean, there's some, yeah. So uh, Lucia Riker, like you said, I, I uh, helped her throughout her her career. She really was impressive. Uh, you know, she was in that uh, movie uh, Million Dollar. A million dollar baby and right. uh, and uh you know then uh you know making the transition with uh, uh Cecilia Brekhus who's uh, you know now considered uh, you know she's the undisputed welterweight champion she's considered the the best pound for pound champion with the uh, ring magazine uh for female boxing and uh you know I helped Christina Hammer when when she was having some managerial problems uh, just to help her um uh, you know, before the fight with uh, Clarissa Shields, unfortunately, it didn't go Christina's 
way, but uh, I mean that's the type of fight where you have two champions fighting against each other, and that's what uh, that's what the fans want to see. You know, equally matched uh, female uh, fighters or female champions, and uh, uh, you know I really think there's some upside, especially what uh, uh, Cecilia is doing. You know, she actually broke that glass ceiling on HBO again. Right. Uh, you know, I have to go back to Peter Nelson to. To uh, give him accolades, to uh, when Canelo was suspended uh, for that Cinco de Mayo fight uh, last year, uh, we had to scramble and uh, find a new opponent for Triple G. And then uh, Chocolatito was supposed to be the co-feature. He got injured, unfortunately, and then that opened up the slot for the co-feature on HBO uh, with Cecilia. So she was the first uh, female boxer on HBO and uh, then uh, Peter was so impressed with her that uh, he gave her actually her own headlining show the last, uh, the last HBO broadcast December of last year so Cecilia's really uh, blazed a trail um, I don't know if you know the story Kurt but uh, you know she was born in Colombia and adopted to uh, Norwegian parents. That's how she right. she came to uh, Norway. And uh, uh, boxing was banned in Norway. And she was a world champion and could fight anywhere <clears throat> except her home country. Hmm. And uh, she single-handedly uh, got boxing approved uh, in Norway again, or legalized, I should say, in Norway again. So she was able to fight in her home country as a world champion. And, uh, you know, not only getting on HBO, but uh, getting boxing um, legalized in Norway is, uh, was a big, big thing. So she's a, a trailblazer in her own right. Again, uh, not only dominant in the ring, but very marketable uh, outside the ring. So, you know, you got a lot of other female boxers coming up now. You know, Katie Taylor, you had that great fight at the Garden recently with uh, Amanda Serrano and Heather Hardy. Um, you know, so uh, when you put together uh, mark, uh, a marketable fight between two marketable fighters, then I really think the, the female boxing, you know, does have, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of upside. Uh, it just needs, you know, they just need uh, to get the, the the television exposure. But that's you know, same with any athlete. Look, if uh, Triple G never got his shot on uh, on uh, HBO. Um, you don't know where his career would have would have wound up uh, if he never got the TV the TV slot, and uh, it's the same thing with the uh, with the female uh, athletes. If they get the TV exposure, I think they can really uh, you know take take the sport to a to a different level. So um, you know, I've been a proponent uh, over the years, and you know, I just like to see uh, you know equally matched uh, fights, and then uh, you can have a, a definitely an exciting. Uh, exciting uh, side of the sport absolutely absolutely yeah i know just from uh you know lou Dubella is also a, a promoter who is uh who's you know been a big supporter of, of female boxing and you know just generally on his local card shows the the broadway boxing sure. i mean often the best fight of the night is the is the female fight because it's you know yeah you no, know. You're, you're right lou's been a supporter and uh, eddie assigned uh you know uh katie taylor uh, yeah fighters fact you know katie taylor but there's also a fight tonight on the uh ah, jessica uh, mccaskill is that is that who you're yeah, talking jessica about McCaskill. i love jessica mccaskill uh, show from st louis yeah <laughs> another st louis yeah. fighter she's yeah. based out of chicago now that was she, actually uh, uh got her start we in st. were louis. talking to jessica mccaskill about fighting uh cecilia last year mm. um 
on one of those HBO shows. Unfortunately, it didn't work out uh, to put that fight together. But uh, hopefully, in the future, we might, that might be a that might be a great fight. And you know, uh, uh, yeah. So it's um, you know, with the right support, I really think it could uh, could come along. Absolutely, yeah. Jessica's actually one of my favorite fighters in the sport. I mean, she's never in a boring fight, and she always you know comes to fight and and, and looks to get people out. Um, uh, absolutely, you know, and it, also she's she started boxing. Uh, I believe uh, in St. Louis with the same uh, uh, from the same gym that my guy Teron Millette came out of. I think she trained with Teron's oh, okay. father originally. So Coots uh, Millette, who sure. just passed recently, may you rest in peace. Okay. But uh, hey, I have one more for you for you, Tom, because I, you know, I really appreciate you uh, taking time on a Saturday to talk to me. But um, and, and I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this. But uh, but you know, there had been some speculation that maybe Vladimir might come back at, at some point. <laughs> I just wanted to get uh, get the, get the status on that. Is that is that still even being talked about, or is, or is Vladimir just going to be happy to happy to be retired and watch the fights from now on? Well, I'll say this: if anyone's going to make that decision, it'll be Vladimir, regardless of <laughs> what people say, whether they think he should fight or not fight, or. You know, but I'll also say that he stays in tremendous shape, <laughs> trains every day. You know, he was one of the best conditioned athletes uh, that I've seen. If you if you look at a, a heavyweight, uh, a prototypical heavyweight frame, Vladimir was so well proportioned. Uh, you know, with the uh, you know the big upper body, the proportioned legs. You know, he was like six five. Uh, tremendous jab you know hand speed uh good footwork you know the whole thing he really had the whole physical package and uh uh if anyone could do it at his age uh look what andy ruiz just did you know right. i'm pretty sure vladimir thinks you know that he would be able to beat andy uh you know he, when when he was the champion emmanuel always wanted to bring in the top guys so uh you know he had Deontay Wilder came in right uh to train with Vladimir and uh, to spar with him and Anthony Joshua was there to, to spar with him and even Tyson Fury was in camp but Tyson never sparred with Vladimir but you know Manuel brought him in and tabbed uh, Tyson as a future world champion so you know credit to uh the top level of talent that uh, Manuel wanted to bring into camp even Joseph Parker you know had come in uh I remember uh uh, Dillian White was in camp uh, a number of times. Even Jarrell Miller was in camp. So, right. you know, it's kind of like a who's who, and Vladimir's <laughs> very familiar with these guys. And uh, I know it's a few years ago, but uh, if I tell you Vladimir always wanted to prove that he was a champion in camp, uh, he definitely proved that he was a champion in camp. So Vitaly <laughs> was a little bit of a different story. Vitaly, you know, would work with Fritz Dunig and, and kind of, uh, you know, work on different things, and and uh, if uh, you know if he had an off day one day, is just uh, wasn't a big deal for him. He was just working on a strategy as long as uh, naturally he looked good in the fight. With Vladimir, if he had an off day one day, he made sure the next day he came back, and <laughs> everyone knew that he was he was the champion. Uh, I remember we always uh, would get uh, you know ten, eleven, twelve guys uh, sparring partners for Vladimir just because he was. Uh, so physical and, and dominant in sparring that, uh, you know, and, and heavyweight sparring uh, takes a big toll uh, on you. So, you know, a couple of, you know, some of the guys got uh, days off, uh, you know, where they wouldn't be able to spar every day. And, you know, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely uh, people that were up there in the champs camp 
up there at the Stangelwert in uh, Austria and the Austrian Alps. Uh, they learned a lot from uh, the Klitschko training camps, you know, both from Vladimir and Vitaly, like how they trained up there, the discipline that both of them had, and uh, the dedication to the sport. So that was a great, that was a great thing to see. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, just I've seen like a few clips of it and just him, I think when Joshua was up there, it seemed like he was very generous with his advice uh, in helping these guys get better as well. Uh, yeah, that's that's one thing that uh, Vladimir has in common and Vitaly also, like the younger guys were there, they would give him advice. Triple G does that when uh, he's got, you know, Jonathan Banks has young guys, young sparring partners come up and Gennady's always... You know, kind of giving them pointers or showing them how to throw maybe a left hook a little bit different angle uh, or position their body in a different uh, different way. And so that's really what they give back to uh, some of these younger guys. And uh, Vladimir, um, like, yeah, I heard he even spars with Usyk uh, when they're in, in Ukraine and, and uh, tries to give Usyk some advice and give him some rounds with the uh, sparring. And, and uh, yeah, uh, as a fan, I would love to see him come back in the ring just because I know how, how great he is and can still be. But, you know, I'm not the one in the ring taking punches. Right, right, <laughs> so, right, right, right. You know, like I said, if anyone if anyone uh, makes that decision, it'll be Vladimir. And, uh uh as of now it, it hasn't been any indication uh that he that he would come back but uh, uh i can say that he stays in tremendous shape is always uh, training and uh you know we'll see we'll see if he ever uh, decides uh, to change his mind on it gotcha gotcha well tom really 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 appreciate the time it was a you know a great talking to you again and catching up and uh you know enjoy the rest of your saturday and uh take care man really appreciate it hope, hope i didn't take too long of your not time. at all not at all or your it. audience you know, <laughs> i just figured i would touch on all the different topics and uh, no, i appreciate you having me on and and uh, a lot of people, you know, know me from the Triple G days because you know it's really been the highest profile uh, over here in the states. But um, you know, it, I'm glad we were able to touch on a lot of different uh, people that I was involved with over the years. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, we, we we could do like a, a whole another podcast on Gorbachev <laughs> and uh, you know uh, Reagan. I mean, yeah, that, that's uh, that's absolutely amazing. That's crazy. But uh, but yeah, man. But no, I really appreciate the time, man. Great. All right. All right, Kurt. It was good to talk to you. All right, my man. Take care. Okay. Okay. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. And that will do it for another edition of the Boxing Esquire podcast presented by The Ring and ringtv.com and distributed by the Leave It In The Ring Network. I'd like to thank Tom uh, for taking the time out to speak with me. Really enjoyed that conversation. It was great. If you like the podcast, please leave a comment or a rating on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Audioboom, SoundCloud, or wherever you access the Boxing Esquire podcast. And I really appreciate it as it helps new listeners find the podcast. And also, do not forget to check out my companion piece to this on ringtv.com. It features quotes and background on my interview with Tom. And until next time, so long, everybody. what you was looking for.